This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Man, oh man, we got a good one for you today. Dr. Matt here, your guide on the side, your coach. We do what we can on this program to give you the information you need to live a healthier, happier life. And if we can have some fun along the way, we enjoy that as well. Hope you're having a great day. We um, Today we're going to be talking about why Amazon would want to get into the grocery business. It seems like many of the stores around us are uh, closing doors. Some of these, uh, you know, Ma and Pa shops. Yep. Out of business, but Amazon then goes out and buys Whole Foods for a nice, tidy, what, 13 billion dollars? Pocket change. Pocket change. Jim Gaffigan said, I like to know that I'm not the only one being overcharged by Whole Foods. There you go. It's actually really, uh, it's kind of true. He paid top dollar. But for what reason? Why would this incredible uh, online giant want to go open up 500 stores? Some of the explanations I heard were uh, produce. Really? Because they you, love you, really good produce. You, as a consumer, go to the grocery store because there's produce there that you right. can grab the apples, look at them, and go, that's a good apple. Touch them, taste them. Those are them, them are some good apples. Amazon cannot, at this point, reproduce that situation. Well, if and, you order a banana, it's just whatever they send you, it yeah. could be spoiled. And then while you're at the grocery store getting your judge of what a fresh produce is, you go and buy all the other stuff that you would probably could get on Amazon. Or, so Amazon's trying to get in front of that. Now Amazon can have all of their deliveries. You can now go pick up your product at a Whole Foods store. And it's already yep. people that are used to spending a lot of money. Sure. <laughs> Too much money. Right. Perhaps. For fresh produce. But my uh, was it my my sister in law? She's tried some of these other grocery stores where you do the pickup service. Yeah, and the the produce because she didn't pick it out. Bruised. wasn't what she wanted. So she yeah. said the 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 real problem that she, and she won't use it. I don't think she'll use it again. And, well, for produce, she'll right. use it for other things. But you show up and you want some fresh vegetables. They're just going to grab whatever's on the stack. They're not going to sit there and go, "Ooh, this one isn't good." This one you know? seems just right for Stacy and so, her three kids. So that personal moment where you're yeah. picking your own food—that that is something I don't know if they can. Replicate. Maybe what this means, though, in the end, is that we're going to have to always buy our produce on the corner. Maybe. And instead, you mean the guy with the bag of oranges yeah. in, in the divider? Yeah, the orange guy. Okay. You can get your windows washed and buy a bag of oranges and have flowers for your wife. That's right. See. Wow. One-stop shopping. What? Whole Foods is going to do all that? Maybe. They do have all of those items. All those offerings. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be talking about Amazon. And is this a major – is this showing that eventually all of these high-tech companies are going to just take over the world? Google, oh, are Apple, we, are and Are we going to have one option for shopping? Mm. You just go to your computer. Yeah, you will only have one option. But the produce will be delectable. Without any bruises. So is the goal to just never talk to another human being as long as we live? Actually, that's hour number two of the program. Oh, okay. Why you need to maybe get some alone time. You need to be alone more. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people sp- aren't alone enough. We spend too much time with other people. Uh-huh. As I believe that. Yeah. Like one of my favorite times is to be alone in my car. I'm sending my wife this article. So when she says, hey, let's go out to – I'll just – what? Uh, I sent you that article. 
This, is, this he has a this guy has a PhD and he's saying this. He he's a doctor and he yeah. We need more alone time because then you get a chance to to think and to actually get to know yourself. Oh, that's if you turn right. your podcast off. Don't By the way, watch TV. One of my wife's biggest pet peeves. Yeah. I like to do that when people are. I used to just put my finger right over their lips, and then I heard that was offensive. So now, I just well, if you don't know the person, oh, sure. Yeah, you don't. You don't know the person, and you're putting that. Let's just throw that out as a rule. Um, don't ever put your finger over someone's lips that you don't know. And if it's your wife, they're not going to be much happier. Oh yeah. Oh, that's just a bad moment. But you know that advice just probably saved a guy's life. Yeah. See, we helped. Like we he helped was today. up on a bridge like wondering whether or not to no, jump? No, or no, no. no the okay, auto mechanic just... that you've never met that you go in and he keeps trying to shush you by putting his greasy finger on your lips. <sighs> kind of tough. Yeah, kind of gross. We'll get to all that fun. Um, we've got that. Plus, of course, we're celebrating Fried Chicken Day. Fried chicken tenders, taters, and gravy. I threw in a biscuit and a big old cookie. Mm. Appreciate Jeff Simpson and his solo on biscuits and gravy. And a cookie. And a cookie. What great song. We just had some kitchen fried chicken the other day. I know you and did. And it makes me sing. Makes me want to sing. I haven't had any for a long time, and I'm you know I'm not even craving it. I had coconut fried chicken last night. Una, that would be good. It was. Mmm. Why don't you bring it? Why don't you bring some here? Like then there'd be less for me. That seems kind of selfish. Yeah. Well, what are you gonna do? Isn't that Twix's motto? Two for me, none for you. I don't remember that. Hmm. Last time I saw Twix had two plants, a left and a right. It was really confusing because they look the same to me. I'm not sure what they're doing, but. Not a big deal. Uh, If you are, um, if you're worried about Twix, you know, that's one thing to worry about. Another thing you can worry about is President Trump in Poland. What about, why would that be concerned? No, no, he's just defending uh, America against every other nation that. May not like us. He also questioned if Russia was involved with meddling in the election. Again. Yeah, they a little bit, but yeah. uh, also um, it's unclear. The talk is heating up about North Korea. We'll get to all of this stuff first. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on, Terry? Speaking of U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley issued a stern warning to North Korea on Wednesday, saying the window for diplomatic solutions to the escalating nuclear crisis is closing. The actions, their actions, are quickly closing off possibility of a. Diplomatic solution, Haley said in an emergency meeting of the U.N. General Council, adding that military options are on the table. The meeting was called a day after the North Korean regime fired an intercontinental ballistic missile. President Trump floated the possibility of cutting off trade deals with countries that do not help us in a tweet early Wednesday, an implicit warning to China, which props up North Korea's economy. They don't sell them coal, but they do send them oil. Oh, really? Yeah. So they cut off the coal because, you know, we're, we're trying to teach them a lesson, but they keep the oil flowing. Well, maybe, yeah, shut that down. You saw over the weekend or uh, over the holiday, Nikki Haley was complaining that she had to work on the 4th of July because of, and then it was like hashtag thanks North Korea. Thanks, Kim. And then she got blasted for, <laughs> you know, <laughs> come on, you took the job. It's your job. Family members and a, a girlfriend say that Alexander Bonds refused to take his medication for paranoid schizophrenia and walked the streets in distress in the hours before police say he killed an NYPD officer early Wednesday. The aunt of... Alexander Bonds told the New York Times the Bronx man had only been home for a week after he was hospitalized for a mental breakdown in which he had threatened to kill people. 
According to the New York Post, an unnamed girlfriend told law enforcement investigators that Bonds was unhinged in the hours before the shooting, and she called 911 three times Tuesday night for help, but every time she saw a cop car go down the block, he would go and hide. Oh, wow. So they were trying to get him help, and yeah. it didn't happen. That's the hardest part about mental health is you can't always force it. Right. Until they do something illegal or... House, ma- House Majority Whip Steve Scalise was readmitted to the intensive care unit at the Washington, D.C. hospital Wednesday night. He was uh, shot in that baseball game mm, practice yeah, they were yeah. having. So he's having some more complications from those injuries as he uh, continues to recover. Uh, this study I found interesting. 20-something men are working many fewer hours than they did a decade and a half ago, according to a new study. Really? And the biggest reason is that they prefer to play video games. No oh boy. Men aged 21 to 30 worked 12% fewer hours in 2015 than they did in 2000, according to a study published Monday by the National Bureau of Economic Research. And about half the reason is the time they spend gaming. The results suggest that reduced work for prime-age men is not just even uh, mostly because they can't find jobs or sufficient hours. Hmm. They're saying the jobs and hours are there. They're there. They just they, don't want I'd rather them. play a video game. It is that rather, except uh, that w- what's out there, they choose to c- uh, the contemporary equivalent of hanging out at the pool hall or the racetrack by playing video games. In fact, 2015, roughly 15% of young men worked zero weeks over the year, nearly double the rate of 2,000. Their attitude, according to one of the researchers, may be, why not have a little fun in your 20s and work in your 80s? Have fun now. Huh? Ho, 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 ho. Who's going to hire an 80-year-old? Who says your hips right. are going to work? Mm-hmm. Now, this this was interesting, and I thought you would find this yes. an interesting approach. The New York Times, uh, Jane McGonnell, a video game scholar. What? Yeah, no. Suggested that games offer this young, co- uh, this young cohort something lacking in available jobs, a meaning to life, specifically that I'm trying to improve the skill teammates are counting on me and my online community is relying on me. Okay. They've developed this bond with these people and they feel like if they don't cultivate that, they're failing them and they're yeah. developing a skill that they find useful. So it's almost like they're not... You know, lonely losers just sitting in the basement. Well, it's almost like now the they're study connected did find by that friends. Most and... of these people actually are. It's okay. like they're a part of a country club, except they can go into the club in their sweats in their mom's basement. Yeah. Well, and there's no country club, and there's no posh locker room. It's all virtual, but they have friends. They develop relationships, and they feel like they're abandoning or somehow violating those relationships by not cultivating them by oh, working. Wow. If mm-hmm. you go away to work, yeah, and you're not there to be with these people, well, it makes sense. It's the same reason why you got to keep you know your social media going because yeah. you don't want to let down all your all your fans or followers. Absolutely. So the old saying, "Sleep when you're dead." The new saying, "Work when you're dead." W- work when you're yeah dead or nearly dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And finally, lines got long, tempers got short, and deputies were called Tuesday when a middle Georgia s- uh, station sold gasoline for 99 cents a gallon. Yeah, what's up with that? This is uh, this is straight out of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, so this isn't my fault. It says, I done got cussed out trying to get in here and get some 99-cent gas, said Richard Baker. Wow. He's a retired Vietnam War veteran. He said he, he's there to get uh, this, this, the gas. He goes, people out here are struggling and acting like a maniac now. The special price, which was for customers paying cash, was to run from four or 3 to 4 p.m. Tuesday afternoon. 
Uh, but when word got out, buyers and their vehicles came flocking. People were over here like 1 p.m., said the owner. <laughs> Bibb County deputies were called in to direct traffic. Some cases telling people to drive by the station, circle back, and attempt to come back in and reenter the, the establishment. The owner said, we ain't doing this again. It was a mess. Well, yeah. Donald Trump says it's going to – where is it? Like Ohio has uh, gas for $1.69 or something? Something like that. And he yeah. says it should even be lower than that. I done got cussed out trying to get in here and get some gas. Now, <laughs> imagine that same promotion here in Utah. Be yeah. about 10 times worse. Oh, yeah. Because you know, everyone's already clipped their coupons. Too. Anything that's free or on a discount here in Utah – Forget what they it. would do is, yeah, because you would end up, they'd all come in for the cheap gas and they'd have like a two for one coupon for hot dogs. Right. So they'd just clean the store out. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, so uh, I guess they're never going to do that again. No. But it doesn't mean other stores in every other state shouldn't try it. I worked at a radio station group. Yeah. And one of the stations there did this. How'd that work? It worked. It, it, it didn't turn into chaos, but they said it was it was it was crazy because it backed out onto the highway. They had yeah. to tell the police so they could make a staging lane. It was oh all this heavens. stuff involved because gas was high and ninety nine cents is a good price. It's a great price, especially like that's where you go take your huge truck and your boat. Oh yeah, you go fill everything up, even if you're well, not going to go boating. There's for a limits, week. but gas is kind of a necessity. Are there really people out there that are saying? Well, if it's 99 cents, I'll get some, but... No, I, I think people... It, it, it's inexpensive enough now, right? I mean, it's fairly cheap gas right now. 230 at Costco. I mean, normally, remember, it's summer. This is when it's supposed to be really expensive. That's what they say. I think it's all part of the scam. It is part of the scam. They're trying to tell you prices are low, and it's really... I don't know. But, like, it used to be four something. Do you remember those right. days? Yeah. Almost $5. Right. And we weren't even in New York. No. Or there, England. There's one gas station that just gives it away for free, though. I mean, you have to bring your own hose, and you have to come at, like, 2 in the morning, but it's free. Really? I've never heard of that. That explains a lot. That explains where you were last week. Um, uh, by the way, uh, Ed Sheeran, is he's, he's done. He's off Twitter. He's not tweeting anymore. He's sick of the this negative. The, the redheaded musician. The redheaded musician that has made a ton of songs for like One Direction and Taylor Swift. And he's just a great hmm. musician. He's like, I'm done. No more Twitter. Not doing it. People are too negative. I'm tired of hearing negative all day. Not doing it. Not going to do it. <whistles> so he's done tweeted out, which might not be a bad idea for all of us. Except you can follow us uh, on our Twitter feed, at Dr. Matt Show. I think he did like a 99-cent sale, kind of like this 99-cent gas yeah. promotion. What did he get? And what it was he... too crazy. Yeah. And I think he said in his British accent, I'm, what, what, was the, what did the gas station guy say? I, I, done, I done had it. I can't remember. I done had it with Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Twitter. The queen's on Twitter. Um, we've got a great show. In a minute, we're going to take we'll take a break. Come back. We're going to be talking about Amazon. Why on earth are they getting into the grocery business, and what does it mean for your future? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the big picture of tech.
Amazon has recently rolled out their Amazon Pantry program where you can have grocery products, bananas, bread, milk, even ice cream shipped next day to your doorstep. How cool is that? They also recently acquired the Whole Foods grocery chain as a subsidiary. And now we are all wondering, what is the future of grocery shopping? Is it going to be online? Is Amazon going to take over that industry? Well, here to help us understand what's happening and what it means to all of us in the future is uh, Dr. Roger Miners. He's a professor of economics at the University of Texas in Arlington. And uh, he's going to walk us through the big picture here. Roger, thank you for being with us today. Uh, glad to do it, man. Talk about, I mean, you. it used to be back in my old day that you, if you were going to be, the benefit of the online business is that you didn't need to have a brick and mortar face. You didn't need to have stores and locations and all the expense of that. And yet here's Amazon, the biggest and the, the baddest, and they just purchased Whole Foods with 465 locations. What's going on? Well, it's not clear that even Amazon knows what's going on because it's an industry that is changing so rapidly. Amazon came from nowhere in such a short amount of time, but their business model changes as they move forward. One of the great advantages of buying Amazon of buying Whole Foods is that they did acquire premier locations. So they moved into the high end of the market because uh, Whole Foods stores are at the high end of the grocery right. chain. Their customers are upper-income people, so they've they've got a solid organization in place, but they're still not uh, sure how they're going to handle all of the delivery business. So, yeah, we can imagine groceries being delivered. That was done a lot, a lot of efforts during the uh, the dot-com boom back around 2000 when we thought everything was going to be delivered. Nobody was going to go to the store anymore. And most of those companies went bankrupt. So we're going back through a slower evolution of groceries being delivered. Uh, and so Amazon is trying that. But I think that one of the things they're also looking at is the expense of delivering tiny uh, little cheap items to us. If you're an Amazon Prime uh, member, you get all your deliveries for free. So you can order something that costs two bucks. It costs them more to deliver it than the revenue that they uh, get from the item. So Mm. they might be able to uh, work out, we go to a Whole Foods and we pick up some orders while we're at the store. So this is still in evolution, and we'll see how it all uh, pans out. And it's a big investment. They paid $13.7 billion in cash. I mean, that's just a pure cash deal. That's like, you know, dad buying pizza. It's 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 just a $20 bill. Amazon's got... Amazon's got buckets of money, and they're looking for places where to put it rather than just stockpiling it. Like a company like Apple has you know, over a hundred billion bucks uh, stockpiled. What are they yeah. going to do with that? Stuff? Right. Investors want a return on it. Now, it could be that buying Whole Foods is a mistake, but they could always sell the chain at the other end. It's a valuable asset. And and like you said, they they will have they're going to pick up this high end market people that are used to. Uh, you know, wanting nicer locations so they'll have nice big parking lots to put all their people in. Um, in the end, I guess uh, they're 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 like you're saying they're making this up as they go. They 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 may have a plan, but who knows where the plan will go? Yeah, you can't control the evolution of uh, of markets. That a lot of companies, of course, think they know what will work, but it turns out that people are looking for something a little different or another company comes up with a product or service that's a little different. 
that is much more appealing. So we see this constant evolution in industry of firms that seem dominant end up withering in favor of uh, some upstart like Amazon that comes along out of nowhere and changes the uh, business model. Does this hurt? Who does this hurt the most? Does this hurt the the small grocers or does this end up hurting the Walmarts? Um, Yeah, they're in competition with Walmart. We see Walmart doing many of the things that Amazon is doing. Walmart is expanding their own delivery business and making it easier to order things online, go to your Walmart store. It's already, uh, your order is already put together for you. You get a preferred parking space, walk in, grab it and go. So they're all experimenting with this model. But Whole Foods is a high-end store and having food delivered uh, makes your groceries pretty expensive. So they're, scre- uh, they're, they're taking off the top of the market. They're not going after the, the massive uh, grocery market which, in which uh, Walmart is number one in the country. It's changing the model, but I don't think we're going to see all groceries delivered. Yeah, I mean, it almost seems like, I mean, I don't know, it, there's something about, I guess, even the social aspect or just the, the freshness aspect. We hear a lot of talk about people want the fresh fruit. People want to be able to handle some of their food before they, they buy it. Is And I guess, too, that would get rid of some of the impulse buying. It seems like, you know, these grocery stores have made a lot of money on getting impulse buys. Well, they do, and that's because people like it. So people see something, they decide to get it. When you order online, maybe you don't do as much of that. But you're right that people are concerned about freshness, and that was one of the things that hurt the uh, grocery delivery business last time it was tried, that people were worried they wouldn't be able to high-grade the fruits and vegetables. They might get sent inferior-grade stuff. By having uh, Whole Foods do the selection, you've bought a high-end name, and nobody thinks Whole Foods is going to deliver you second-quality fruits or vegetables. So that's one of the things they're able to overcome with that. And, uh, like, um, I think it is – no, it is Amazon that has – they have these refill buttons that you can put on your laundry detergent. So when you're out of laundry detergent, you just press this button, and it automatically – uh, puts in an order on Amazon for you, and then they'll send you your your detergent. Is do you see a day? And then too, we have all of the um, the internet uh, based uh, refrigerators that when you're out of milk, it'll automatically uh, you know order it. it. Is is do you think the tech is going to become a bigger part of? Um, our grocery shopping experience with Amazon doing this, or in the end, do we still want our local grocer? Yeah, I think people do like uh, going into the to the grocery store now and then and looking around at what's there and seeing things that you haven't thought of. Uh, online, you're likely just to get the same old thing time after time. So we're not going to see the uh, the grocery stores disappear. But all of these fancy ordering devices, like you said, that a refrigerator that recognizes you're low on milk, well, what if you're leaving town for two weeks? You're going to have to go in and reprogram the dang thing to say, no, no, don't send milk <laughs> right. So, uh, I, you know, it may be that these um, little devices that you can put in your house, uh, like Alexa and all these others, will end up dominating more where you just say to that thing, 
uh, I need milk, I need detergent or something. So you control it rather than having automatic ordering dominating and you end up getting a bunch of stuff that you really didn't yeah. want. Do you what do you sense because one of the things I know that they've all been running into especially with Amazon is is just the delivery system and uh how their their margins aren't high enough but sometimes they're like you were saying earlier they're not making money on anything but the delivery. The delivery might just help them break even on certain things is is this in the end going to change that? We, on the show, we have talked about the fact that if everyone keeps buying everything online, it's going to be – we're going to have really congested cities, not full of cars, but full of delivery trucks. Well, it, but the congestion may go down because if people don't drive as much to go uh, to stores and so on, uh, you'll end up with fewer vehicles on the road because one truck can make an awful lot of deliveries. So I think one of the things that Amazon is is still struggling with, as are many companies, is if you're paying another company, UPS, FedEx, or even the post office, to handle the delivery for you, then a lot of the revenue is going to that organization, not to Amazon or the firm that's actually selling the product. Hmm. So maybe by getting into the, the Whole Foods market and grocery delivery, we're going to see them having their own fleet of vehicles uh, that are doing the food delivery, but also delivering the various gadgets that we order uh, online from Amazon. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it seems like a really good investment for Amazon would be to purchase a company like FedEx. <laughs> well, uh, who knows? Do you they, see they a day that if they have so much money one end to the other? Yeah. yeah. And uh, as you know, Amazon, of course, is like other stores such as Costco that have their own uh, branded products at, at Costco. It's Kirkland and Amazon is developing its own branded products. Mm. And the one thing we're observing in these branded products today, such as Kirkland, is very high quality. It used to be that we thought a brand X or the store brand is kind of inferior stuff. Yeah, that's not the case anymore. Uh, Costco and Amazon want you to trust their brands and the choices they're making, and they're not going to sell us junk that's not as good. So uh, they're able to tie things more and more from one end to the other as they vertically integrate more from production to delivery. Hmm. Wow. This is crazy because then all of a sudden, who would have ever thought that you can go go get a pair of Amazon jeans? (laughs) I mean, it seems like not a great brand name for the <laughs> for the ladies. That's right. Well, they'll they'll think of something more clever than that. Yeah, they better, huh? Let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Doctor uh, Roger Miners as he walks us through the insights, the ins and outs of uh, the Amazon purchase of Whole Foods. Roger Miners is a is a Goolsby Rosenthal Endowed Chair of Economics at the University of Texas Arlington. Stick with us. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. Uh, you know, Amazon goes out, throws down $13.7 billion in cash to purchase Whole Foods. And now Amazon is, you know, one of the leading grocers, uh, grocery chains in the country. What? 
can can that just happen? Can a can a tech company go in and just throw down enough money and then take over the grocery world? And if so, hmm, what else can they go after? And uh, and what does this mean for our future? Joining us on the phone is Dr. Roger Miners. He is the Goolsby Rosenthal Endowed Chair of Economics at the University of Texas Arlington, and uh, he is here today to help us understand the future of Amazon. Uh, Dr. Miners, thank you again for being with us. Good to be with you. Is okay. So how do we not? Because this has showed us something really, I think, powerful. We see it a little bit with Google where Google goes out and they, again, have billions of dollars and now they have the company Alphabet and they're slowly just purchasing different companies. But um, is there is there a way – I mean, is, is, is Amazon capable, I guess, of just going out and slowly just creating monopolies and dominating industries? I, I don't think that's much of a concern. Uh, the company is is not highly profitable. Everybody's betting on the come on uh, Amazon, unlike uh, say Apple, which has very high profit margins on its products. Amazon hasn't made much money, but a lot of investors are saying they've got a great business model. They've obviously figured out. Uh, a sector of the market, and so they they should be making profits in the future. So I think the company is still, in a sense, stumbling along, trying hmm. to figure out uh, what's going to work and make money over time. Just as you mentioned, Google, uh, you know, they're getting into the automobile business, yeah. figuring out how to have driverless cars and so on. Who knew? Yeah, right. You can't make that much money if if all you do is give away people the the service of people looking up stuff. You're not going to make a lot of money off of that. So they've got to move into other areas. And people always worry about monopolies. A hundred years ago, there was big worry about a company called the Great Atlantic and Pacific. Uh, that is A&P, was mm. the first chain of grocery stores. Before that, you had your freestanding stores, the butcher shop, the green grocer, the bakery, and you had to spend a lot of time going from store to store to store. Then A&P opens up the first chain grocery store where he went into one store to get almost everything. And there was worry that, oh, my gosh, they're going to uh, monopolize the grocery market and take over. Well, no, other imitators came along, and A&P is long ago a has-been. So Amazon, of course, is being studied by a lot of smart people who are looking at it, and you see would-be competitors, Jet.com and others, coming up with uh, similar models or variations on the theme. So whenever there's a big pot of money to be had, as long as others aren't stopped from entering the market, they're going to seek new competitors come along trying to grab market share from them. Yeah. It's interesting, too. I mean, we're always afraid of this, um, but uh, we do see some weird signs in um, in some of the other markets, like Kmart shutting down, Sears shutting down certain stores. Um, is that is that an Amazon effect? It's it's partly an Amazon effect, but also just the inefficiencies of certain organizations. Uh, Kmart largely fell victim to a Walmart being higher quality stores with better prices, and Kmart just failed to adapt. Uh, it's difficult for big companies to change their model. 
So a lot of times the big dominant firm in an industry, such as at one time U.S. Steel, was the number one steel company in the world. It's a small company now because other steel companies came along adapting better technology, uh, new methods of production, and just blew U.S. Steel out of the water. U.S. Steel knew what was going on and could see these changes happening, but the company was too cumbersome and slow to adapt. Mm. And so we, we see that a lot. General Motors, of course, at one time dominated the auto market, and it's still real big. Uh, but they face a heck of a lot more competition now than they did in the past. Yeah. It seems like um, I, I was hearing rumblings about the CEO of of uh, Whole Foods not wanting to sell, not wanting to to be bought out, um, even though some of his investors, some of his board were looking toward that. Is I mean, Are these companies so big that in the end when they're throwing down $13.7 billion in cash – it's it's you can't compete. You just you just buy. You just I mean you, you allow yourself to be bought. And why did U.S. Steel um, or the steel like that example you were giving us? If they they should have probably just sold out right earlier. Well, nobody might want to buy them uh, <laughs> now course, yeah. because of the size of the organization. And in the case of U.S. Steel, you had a heavily unionized company, and, and those tend to be uh, not very flexible. So for a company like Amazon that does have a lot of cash, it's a heck of a lot quicker to buy an existing firm instead of going to out and you know building yourself 500 stores. That would take years to do. Mm. Uh, so here you've got Whole Foods has already chosen the nice locations, built the stores, has a loyal clientele. You're buying all of that. But you're you're right that the apparently the uh, John McKay, the head of uh, Whole Foods was was not happy about some of the pressure that was on him to change the business model, to increase net revenues, the usual thing that investors want, higher return. And what they were talking about was, well, you got to cut your prices and so on. That is, got to look more like Kroger's and Albertson's and less like Whole Foods. Hmm. He didn't like it. And so going with um, Amazon gives him the, the chance to stay in charge, uh, have a fair amount of flexibility, and at least for a while, in running the company the way he thinks it should be run, and not have to put up with uh, listening to the caterwauling from a bunch of uh, hedge funds, head fund, yeah. fund managers on Wall Street uh, pecking away at what he's doing. Do you, do you sense that... Uh, two, it's you know whoever has the money, and it seems like right now all these uh, a lot of these tech companies are the ones with the money. Um, I, I guess in the end, do is market driving this, or are companies innovating it and then forcing the market? Does that make sense? So are we are we well, all yeah, screaming yeah. for the pantry program, or is Amazon uh, is Amazon now pushing it upon us? Well, they're trying to push it on us. Of course, all companies uh, want to be successful and and get us uh, to be loyal to them and stick with them. But as long as we have uh, uh, choices to go with other firms that come along, then we really shouldn't worry much about that. And big, dominant companies that uh, people used to talk about as controlling things, 
tend to wither away. Yeah. Uh, I can remember when I was younger, IBM oh, yeah. dominated the computer market, and there was all the talk about it being a monopoly and nobody could compete with IBM. It's a nothing company today. Well, I don't mean to disparage it. Yeah. It's not the dominant firm it once was. And the same is true of Xerox, which at one time was one of the most highly valued firms in the world, dominated the copier market. Canon came along and blew them out of the water. <laughs> so other people are free. They see the market, and you have giant companies like Google, Facebook, Apple that have buckets of money. They can get into these markets, and uh, the folks that work at those companies, as well as brand-new startup companies we've never heard of. Oh, uh, you, looking I, yeah. at all that cash that's out there. And so you get a lot of smart young people coming out of schools like BYU, and some of them have pretty good ideas about what we might do uh, to carve into some niche of some market. It's so true. I mean, really, think about Facebook. And um, but and Facebook is like becoming a major marketing expert. Right. So and their data. The other thing we've been talking a lot about on the show over the last month or two is the fact that where a lot of the money is so valuable is in the data Amazon is gathering on their people and Facebook is gathering. So then all of a sudden you take all that data and then you combine it with, you know, brick and mortar power in on the ground and you can create some pretty amazing things. Yeah, that's a very good point, uh, that uh, data is incredibly valuable, and many firms are not yet capable of analyzing their own data uh, successfully because the amount of data that is coming in to all firms, not just your uh, Internet-based firms, but even more traditional firms such as the railroads, have huge amount of data that are collected. They have drones flying over their mm. rails, checking for defects. The amount of information coming in is staggering. So you've got to figure out how to warehouse that information, retrieve the information, analyze the information. No one company is likely to be able to do all of that by itself really efficiently, as well as do the product development, product marketing, and so on. Firms tend to have relatively narrow areas of specialization, what they're really good at doing, uh, better than anybody else, so that that's where they make their money. Hmm. It's so true, and which, which actually makes this, in a weird way, a little more ominous because Amazon does have data. And for some reason, and then of all the things they targeted, Whole Foods was one of it. So you wonder, what are the things that they know? that no one else knows simply because of their huge data set? Well, they've got a lot of data, but so do a lot of other firms. And my guess is, of course, they hire consultants to do a fair it's amount true. of the analysis for them rather than do it all themselves. But they're, you're right. They're looking for trends, uh, and they're also looking for new opportunities, unexploited efficiencies uh, that could come about, things mm. that we haven't recognized. So, you know, you, you, were, you mentioned Facebook. Who would have thought, I don't know, 10 years ago, who would have imagined that some company promoting that thing, which wasn't even envisioned, could become one of the most profitable firms in the world? It just seems bizarre. Totally. Uh, but it is very successful, and they're, they make the money from exploiting the data, uh, which they sell to advertisers. Well, and you made a great point about if about margins. If... Uh... If Amazon's margin is maybe 3% and they can eliminate shipping 
and move their margin up one percent or two percent more, they've they, they've just doubled their 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 profits. So all of a sudden, I mean, I guess this this makes a lot of sense when you think going forward. Any other ideas that you think as far as future? Uh, mergers, future buyouts, what else should we expect to see from these tech giants going forward in the future? Well, if I knew, I wouldn't tell you because <laughs> You'd I would be, investing. be exploiting that uh, highly <laughs> valued investment information. So we tend to see these things uh, such as uh, Amazon buying Whole Foods, which just seems bizarre. So it's not like Amazon buying you know some small company that does something immediately related to what they do. So it is these uh, these new innovations that come along that tend to surprise us and get the most attention. But the, the grocery market, compared to many other industries where we've seen much more innovation, grocery stores today look an awful lot like I remember them looking 40 years ago. So it probably is an industry that uh, is ripe for more innovation. Hmm. It's great. Good stuff. Well, we appreciate you, Roger. Uh, it's not it's not an easy job you've got and not, not an easy task. It's economics, for heaven's sakes. It seems like uh, way over my head. But uh, we appreciate your time with us. Again, Dr. Roger Miners is the uh, Goolsby Rosenthal Endowed Chair of Economics at the University of Texas, Arlington. And he wrote this uh, a wonderful article on Amazon and as it dives into the grocery business with Whole Foods. Go check it out on conversation.com. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you keep up to date on the crazy tech world. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, tech is one thing, but... At some point, there just comes a time that you you just need to just escape from life. Escape from your tech, escape from politics, escape from sometimes your kids. That's what the bathroom's for. <laughs> just go hide out in there. Great exit strategy. So the fingers come under the yeah, door. Yeah, Dad. So uh, Terry's got a little uh, insight for us about how much time we, we actually spend escaping. So there's a reality. study of 2,000 adults. In yeah. the U.S., commissioned by the global tour operator G Adventures. G. G. Hmm. They uh, showed that the, uh, the average adult spends about 12 hours, 56 minutes of escaping our reality each week. Coming in partly in the form of reading books. They say it's about one hour, 34 minutes. Watching movies, two hours, 37 minutes. Dreaming of vacations, 44 minutes. How often do you dream of vacation? Hold on, at? people just sit and dream about. That's is, what they're saying. Are they sleeping daily? In all, it's four years of your life that you spend escaping whatever you're doing at the moment. Twenty-two minutes on average, a person spends daydreaming each day. To the books, films, TV, we get lost in. New survey tallied the common times and activities that people use to get away from reality, and it's about thirteen hours a week. So this is about the twelve fifty-eight they're saying. So about thirteen hours a week. But I, I, is reading a book escaping? Sure, if you read the book. I mean, it just seems like it's it's if, actually well, like you, exercising your brain. If you read the right type of book. Yeah, I guess that's the key. Huh? Yeah, if you're reading like an Like uh, a Harlequin romance, like oh, there you Jeff go. can't put those down. <laughs> right. Every cover has Fabio on the cover, right? It's amazing. I would think it would be at least four hours a day 
Because people are looking at Facebook. That's true. Yeah. What about surfing all that? the net at work? So it says other popular forms of escape that uh, trended in the survey. Exploring new places, 56 minutes. Listening to music, two hours, 47. Playing video games, hour and a half. The most common daydream Americans confess to have is the thought of winning the lottery. That's 60%. Followed really? by close uh, by going on vacation at 54% or traveling somewhere exotic, 50%. Yeah, I don't think of any of those. Really? No, I All... think of being a dancer, like a in New York, um, Broadway, big show. Really? So of these 2,000 yeah. people, it says they spent 44 minutes each week fantasizing about being on vacation or planning the next one. And this says that might do, be due to the fact That's... that 63% of the survey respondents say daydreaming about vacation has helped put their mind more at ease. Well, I guess, yeah, like they're dreaming about a hope that, hey – I'll be going on that Disney cruise in three years. And that works into the website who ran the survey. I, oh, how vacation website. I guess I'm just a man of simple tastes. If I'm not dreaming about a plate of nachos, I'm You're probably a just... a plate of nachos. Well, or I'm just dreaming about getting to sleep in, which never happens. But is that what you think about? Yes. At 7.30 last night, I was dreaming about... Oh, so you were asleep be at 7.30? No. Wouldn't it be great oh, to daydreaming. be dreaming, though? Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's just interesting because I – man, my head uh, – maybe I just have this ability to turn everything else off. So look, the top 10 daydreams according to the survey. Okay, yeah. Winning the lottery as we talked Weird, about. yeah. Going on vacation. Uh-huh. Traveling somewhere exotic, which I'm not sure what the difference between vacation yeah. and traveling somewhere Seems exotic. same. Uh, being on the beach. Yeah. Again, vacation. Doing something adventurous. Speaking my mind. Some people dream of speaking yeah, their mind. Yeah, that's like number, what, eight? There are seven there. And then yeah. meeting the one. Oh, that one perfect. The special perfect yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, quitting my job. Oh, okay. While yeah. sitting at your job dreaming of quitting. Yeah, and how you're going to quit. Yeah. <laughs> and then the final one is errands that I need to do. Wow. What's weird, I, I, I have a whole, I have a different mind because I don't think of like 90% of those things. What are the top moments that you would daydream? Oh, I daydream all through the show. Okay. <laughs> what about your vacation to Branson, Missouri? That was awesome. I've uh, I've been to Branson, spent a week there one night. As uh, was it Homer Simpson said, it's Vegas if God built it. Branson, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> you Branson's could go, really cool. You could really go to cool. the you could go to the Brady Brunch there. <laughs> oh, I've never been to the Brady Brunch. Yeah, but I I went with the high powered member of the Branson community, and so we could go to any show we wanted to. Not to brag. Whoa. Wow. It's pretty cool. Matt knows people. It's pretty cool. But, you know, you can only go to so many shows before you're, like, tired of shows. Well, that's interesting. Okay, good. Now, So now everybody knows yeah. what they should be daydreaming about. And we spend four years of our lives doing it. Man, I never even think about the lottery, but apparently I need to pick up my game. Huh? All right, fun stuff. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the program. You're not going to want to miss it. Today we're celebrating fried chicken. It's fried chicken day. You can't get enough. Finger licking good. 
Three chicken tenders, taters and gravy. I threw in a biscuit and a big old cookie. <laughs> and if that doesn't make fried chicken sound really good to you, I don't know what would. Who doesn't want a biscuit, a little gravy, and a cookie thrown in? They have the greatest ad campaign that I've seen in years. Who who is who who are they? Uh, kitchen fried chicken. Kitchen fried chicken. Yeah, they keep changing up their uh, we'll say general. Okay, and uh, it's always a different actor. Yeah, and I think it's because when they did this new campaign, the actor that they used, a lot of people were complaining online that he was too creepy. Really? So then they got somebody new, and I think it, the next one may have been Norm McDonald. Yeah. And then they just kept switching it up from there. Yeah. And Jim Gaffigan Jim has Gaffigan's been one been of them. On. Rob Lowe, George Hamilton, it's Billy Zane. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool idea. And so, you know, they're not the only fried chicken company. There's other companies that... No, there's Sockeyes. Yeah. Sockeyes. <laughs> That doesn't sound as tempting. Hmm. Yeah, Sakai is, yeah, sounds kind of gross. Um, we got a great uh, show. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. One thing in particular, maybe you need to spend more time alone. Not you, Terry. You actually need to spend more time with people. Yeah. But some people need to spend more time alone. I found this article very encouraging to my personal state of life. Yeah. Like, you, huh, yeah they, I, don't need to, I don't need you people. Like See? evidence that you could you could be alone more. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have a, an expert that uh, can talk about the research going on about what happens when you spend some time alone. You actually depressed people. I mean, there, there is a limit, right? Because there is a time where you could spend too much time alone. Hmm. But a lot of times people that are depressed, when they have time alone, they, their depression symptoms tend to dissipate. So and it's, it's... and they, have, they actually heal. But then we all worry about, oh, they're always alone. But some people are just need some time alone more than others. I personally, right this minute, I need time alone. Should we go? No, this all show right. wouldn't work. <laughs> just like we'll take off. So no, I'll just I feel like I'm in the way. Suck it up, I guess what I'll do. I'm wow. Yeah. This is what it feels like right here. We'll just give you a chance to just feel what it feels like to be alone. With Bobby Vinton. Oh, wow. <sighs> but this probably doesn't mean you should be on your phone alone in your room because you're not alone. There's cool stuff on my phone, though. But maybe to be alone means you put all of this off and you just think and you come to know yourself. But that doesn't make me happy. Alone with my thoughts? It's kind of scary. That's the, that's the point. Yeah. If you don't want to be with your thoughts, why do you think we want to be with your thoughts? Yeah, I wouldn't want to have uh, dinner with my thoughts sometimes. <laughs> but your thoughts are really violent. <laughs> not the kind of guy that you want to sit down and have a root beer with. Or not the kind of thoughts you want to have These a root beer are with. crazy, crazy thoughts. So we'll be, uh, we'll be talking about uh, time to be alone and the benefits of that. Also, we will get into some crazy news headlines in the empty news segment. Police nabbing a suspect in a porta potty. Mm. There's yeah. nothing worse than a porta potty sting. Mm. <laughs> exactly. In, in fact, many different ways. Yes. In fact, didn't you get a sting after using a porta potty once, Jeff? 
Anyway. Uh, the, yeah. yeah. It's a tetanus shot, yeah. It was a tetanus shot. Um, uh, also, we'll be talking about uh, a guy that is stealing signs. He thinks signs are ugly. Right. They're, they're just ugly. So he goes around town no, it's not, taking them down. It's not stop signs or no. yield or those types of things. But, you know, the other signs you see on the side of the highways. The signs that just are ugly that aren't professionally made that shouldn't be there anyway. Right. Like vote for Ron Paul. Remember those spray-painted vote for Ron Paul signs? Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know why you had to pick on Ron Stenciled Paul. Stenciled onto a— What did Ron Paul do to you? Yeah. Jeez. Just he saying. always bring politics He just advanced the discussion in a presidential election cycle. I mean, come on. <laughs> we can get into all of that. Plus, oh. uh, we can also figure out if Amelia Earhart actually survived her plane crash or not. Mm. It's a big deal. I'm guessing no. Apparently, there's some evidence that she may have survived. But then died shortly thereafter? And maybe maybe was killed by the Japanese. It involves spies. Do-do-do-do. Crazy. We'll get to all that fun stuff straight ahead. But first, to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what do we need to be paying attention to? The city of Chicago flooded the streets with 1,000 extra police officers during the Independence Day weekend, but they could not stop an eruption of gun violence. The extra-long holiday weekend was the bloodiest in recent years. At least 101 people were shot, nearly half of the last 12 hours of July 4th. Wow. And at least 15 people were killed. The weekend brought the total number of people shot in Chicago this year to above, uh, what, 1,800, which is below the 2,035 recorded at this time last year when violence spiked sharply. So so we, we're down from 2,035 to yeah. 1,800. Yeah. So promising, except it was a weekend with 100 and something shootings. Yeah. And, and 15 third, people and died. 15 deaths. Unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And uh, speaking of Amelia Earhart, one of the greatest mysteries of the 20th century might be a step closer to resolution thanks to a long unnoticed photo tucked away in the National Archives. Former executive assistant director for the FBI, Sean Henry, believes he has uncovered photographic evidence that depicts Amelia Earhart in Japanese custody after she vanished with her navigator, Fred Noonan, on July 2nd. 1937 en route to uh, between New Guinea and Howland Island. The standing theory is that Earhart and Noonan died at sea after running out of fuel or perhaps crash-landed into the island of Nukumuru, but experts, uh, expert analysis of the photo, which is possibly taken by a U.S. spy, has found that this image is apparently authentic and undoctored, making it a promising lead. Japanese authorities responded to the news by claiming that they have no information about Earhart ever being in their custody, but no officials from Earhart's time are alive today, and many Japanese military documents were destroyed during the war. But how, somebody's got to know. I mean, if Japan had her, they would know, and they would have told us by now. Right. They've already unleashed a lot of secrets. Who's an know. expert on what her back looks like? Oh, there's a lot of Amelia Earhart back experts. Yeah, I guess that's true. Some we- weirdos out there. <laughs> it's just kind of odd. But she's sitting, because you only see her back and a little bit of her side of her face. Right. But she is obviously a Caucasian mm. on – but th- then I guess you don't know where this island is really. I mean, you're just – I mean, that could be anywhere. Right. Hmm. And then you're like, why does this flare up? Well, it's July 2nd, so there's sort of an yeah. anniversary I there. I thought they found her bones and, somewhere. And there's a History Channel documentary coming up this Hold weekend. on. Didn't we find – oh, that's it. Didn't, <laughs> we, didn't they find an airplane with her – I don't know. – on an island somewhere that with was a, her? That was a theory, but if they're but still looking – But I thought looking, they did a DNA test. I did. 
Isn't that what that show uh, Lost is about? J.J. Abrams? No, it's different. I think it's a different one. Ride-sharing company Uber appears to have docked money from New York drivers' paychecks that passengers should have paid, the New York Times reports. The state's taxes may have added up to hundreds of millions of dollars. The Times reports Uber receipts from other states reflect a tax accounting at odds with the company's justification for deducting sales tax. From the fares received by its New York drivers, Uber says its fares already include the appropriate tax, but the Times ran the numbers in different states and showed that riders in New York saw the tax deducted from their bill, while riders in other states saw the taxes added to the overall fare. So they're messing mm. with how much you're paying for the fare of a taxes and Come all that. Come on. Come on. And uh, to no surprise, Uber declined. To comment. And Did finally, they? in North Carolina, when Asheville, North Carolina, senior police officer Joe Jones and Carrie Lee responded to a call for no, a noise complaint, they never expected a summertime fun that they were about to encounter. The officers joined in on the neighborhood's massive slip and slide built on a 4th of July block party on uh, Sunday, July 2nd. The officers got there and where people were like, oh my gosh, the cops are here. They're going to shut us down. But they noticed that the noise was fine. It was a noise complaint, but it was kids playing. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, come on, people. It was literally the sounds of kids playing. Public, that's what the uh, police Look. said. The slip and slide they noticed was so far off the street that cars and, and emergency vehicles could still pass yeah, on it. Fine. So, no big deal. It was such a cool And so, thing. the cops looked at each other and went... And the, the woman was like, uh, there was a, a male yeah. and a female cop. The female cop says, you got a trash bag? And then she jumped in the trash bag, went down That's the slipping so cool. slide. The guy, Officer Jones, he's six foot eight. Oh, that, I knew he was huge. So he's huge. Yeah. And so they found a huge raft for him, an inflatable raft. And he, he jumps right in with his yeah. gear. I mean, you don't take your gear off if you're a cop. No. Hey, kid, could you hold my gun? <laughs> Here, hold my gun belt. <laughs> I don't want to get it wet. He just jumped on and... Down and he went, he went down with some little kid. It was really cool. And they said he was the only one able to make it all the way to the end of the slide. Well, yeah, at six, he, eight, and two. He weighed so much. <laughs> See, I think that's something that most people dream about, doing things that kids like do. Like a slip and slide. Yeah. Eh. Come on. Uh, I I don't dream like that. Mm. I mean, my, I mean, my dreams. Maybe you need to spend more time alone. Apparently, my dreams are like more like world domination. Like oh, if wow. I could hang out with Kim Jong Un, what we talk really? about, boring. We'd be, we'd be friends. Yeah, if I could like play ball with Rodman, stuff like that. Okay, well, I mean, it's weird. It's to weird each his own. I don't even dream. Talk with Vlad about fake news and how just horrible <laughs> yeah. how those people write these things about you. I, you know what I dream about, like. Okay, this was a true dream. I dreamt, I don't know if it was a dream mm. or a daydream, or I, that people were lighting off fireworks last you, night. You did come out of surgery, so maybe drug-induced totally. stupor. I'm missing an organ for crying out loud. But I had dreams because I went to bed when the fireworks were still going off because I had to get up for the show. Yeah. And I heard I, – I dreamt that uh, a lone like missile – not a missile. That sounds like it's a real military thing. Like a lone projectile flew from somebody's fireworks show, okay. landed in my garden, mm. my weed garden, right. and just torched my entire garden. Were you happy about that? I was so happy. Okay. It just burnt my weed garden down. Right. And I did dream that it caught my neighbor's shed on fire. Ooh. But Is it an eyesore? No, I, I just I, – I honestly, I thought that's okay too because we're insured. Okay. 
And I don't know if I'd have to pay for it because it, yeah, yeah. it was my weeds that ignited, but it would be his house that burnt down. So maybe he'd have to have the coverage. Right. This is all I'm a dream. Sure, I'm sure that's how None it works. This is, yeah. this is the most boring dream. <laughs> but subconsciously, it, it's not boring because it just saved my family hours of weeding. Wow. So you woke up and it was all burned down? Yeah. So you dream about ways not to weed more. Yeah. Huh. That's it. I also um, – now I might have another dream because I read today that apparently my city has mosquitoes yeah. carrying a virus. What's the virus? West Nile. West Nile virus. Nice. And they said, please make sure, not Townton Abbey. This is the Townton Abbey theme song. Yeah. Weren't you talking about no, your I was talking about my fictional – His actual no, place my, he my lives. Oh, okay. Not, not the Swampland game that he yeah. created. <laughs> I thought you got it on a ballot to rename your neighborhood Townton, Townton Abbey. Abbey. I tried. I had uh, I had lunch. I didn't want to brag, but um, I had breakfast the other day with the mayor. He's been on the show. The mayor of Draper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And great guy, Troy Walker. Yeah. Um, but he uh, – but now we have West Nile virus in our mosquitoes and because they – Because of the breakfast with the yeah, mayor? Yeah, there was something with the syrup. Oh. Mm. And they – but they said something that if you have long weeds – Yes. You got to – Knock them down because that's where these mosquitoes go to hang out. Or an old tire with water in it. Oh, yeah. I've got tons of tires. That's what yeah. holds my tarps on my top of my house. There you go. <laughs> it's just how, I, just how I work it. Yeah, you got to keep the weeds down and then the mosquitoes stay away and yeah. you don't get West Nile. Yeah. See? Or, or Zika. See, that's what I dream about. Really? Public oh. health? Yeah. Wow. It's just who I am. Just a giver. Hey, uh, crazy story. Um, police... Assault or an assault suspect was caught in an unlikely place Saturday evening in Union County, Pennsylvania. Police found the suspect in a porta potty. Mm, of all places. Ugh, keep your hands up. <laughs> I can't. My pants will fall down. <laughs> Get your hands up. Uh, officers say they responded after the assault was reported by to a nearby gas station before 6 p.m. Cops wound up tracking down the suspect inside a porta potty. Can you uh, imagine? Are you in there? Not us. It's Occupied. Not well, you know how they found him is they just listened to this sound. Yeah, maybe that's it. Because those porta potties after the celebration, they're gross. They're gross. Yeah. Uh, uh, apparently, the officer arrested Christopher Ott. Ott's ex girlfriend called police Saturday night after he allegedly showed up to her work, argued, and hit her. He then locked himself in a porta potty. Well, I mean, but imagine being the police. You don't know what he's got. Like, does he have a gun in there? What's going on? You don't know. Right. So you just tip it over like any teenager Well, no, would. because I've thought about that. If you tip him over, then you have to go through the process of hosing him off before you get him in yeah, the car. Yeah, you don't want him in your car. Yeah, it's no, gross. No, so then you, gotta, you just wait for the rookie to pull up. I mean, hey, we got to put him in your car. Yeah, and then the rookie has to hose his car out. Yeah. It's gross. It's not a good deal. He yeah. really ought not be in there. Oh, a little play on his name, huh? Christopher That's right. Yeah, okay, I was trying to figure out what that meant. Yeah. Um, but they, they got him. So a little advice to the uh, to any thieves, don't run to the porta potty to hide. A little obvious. Actually, yeah. I guess they could just look down in the vents. Aren't there vents at the top of those things? Yeah, but I don't think they set those up so you can look down. You know, they're thinking of your privacy. And, drone, and drones are real. That's true. That's a great point. Great point. And before we go to our break, Ohio, an Ohio man is facing charges after police say he stole more than 500 signs 
Claiming they were an eyesore and a distraction to drivers, John Holzel was charged with a felony count of receiving stolen property. Police say the signs are valued at more than $5,500 and were taken over a period of several months. The signs included announcements for an Easter egg hunt, a business expo, lost dogs, weight loss pills, and how you too can become a real estate professional. The police department began investigating the thefts after receiving several complaints, and some say the signs were illegally posted, but most had been granted city approval. Holtzel uh, said he probably shouldn't have taken the signs. And I would steal 500 signs, and I would steal 500 more, just to be the man who stole a thousand signs and threw them at your door. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, while human beings are social beings by nature, we live in a society where we're overscheduled, leaving very little room for uh, the quality time that we may need with ourselves. For many, the idea of being alone may be an uncomfortable one. Spotting someone enjoying a movie alone or spending a Friday night uh, by themselves may, you know, may make you feel like ah, some pity for these people. But in reality, it might be a benefit to spend more time alone. And maybe we all need a lot more time uh, in our own heads, thinking and working through some of our own thoughts. Joining us today to talk about it is Dr. Arnie Kosak. He's a psychotherapist and a clinical assistant professor in psychiatry at the University of Vermont College. And uh, we're going to we're going to break this down today. Dr. Kosak, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Good to be here. What do you think? I mean, I mean, a lot of us think and I even my wife is always telling my kids, you got to get out and play. Keep playing. You got to play. But it sounds like we really don't have enough time alone in our thoughts? Well, I I think that this is, um, it's not necessarily a new problem. Um, You know, back in the 17th century, uh, the philosopher Pascal said, basically all of our troubles stem from not being able to just sit quietly alone with ourselves. Mm. But now we have uh, so much information available to us. I mean, I can listen to any piece of music, uh, watch anything, read anything, pretty much anywhere. Right. That availability of information and entertainment, uh, and, you know, kids are growing up with that. And, and of course, you know, I'm not sure how old you are, but when we were growing up, um, probably, you know, there were periods of absence of, of stimulation, and we had to rely on our own imagination. Yeah. We were just out doing, creating our own games or, or playing. I mean, I remember... You know, being at home in the summer and um, you only had really good TV for kids maybe in the morning and then kind of in the afternoon. But then soap operas came on and I remember knowing that from about 10 o'clock to about 2 o'clock, there's nothing to do TV-wise. So you got to go get something to do. You got you got to – and I remember just going out on my swing and being alone and swinging and thinking and is – I, I guess, though, if this has been such an age-old issue, then maybe the problem isn't um, – maybe the problem is we just don't like 
being with our own thoughts. Well, I think that's part of it. I mean, we certainly don't get any training or encouragement around that. Um, school is, you know, very social, and kids, uh, I think parents want to engage their kids, make sure that they're, um, you know, um, spending time with other kids and, and, and not being alone. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, there is kind of a, a stigma about being alone. And so we're really, we're just not really taught that solitude is, is a virtuous thing or a valuable thing and given opportunities to do it. Is, 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 why is that? I guess, is that our desire to make it, a, to stigmatize it? Um, is that just because we want to be so pro-social that we, we stigmatize anything that seems antisocial? I think that's part of it. I think that we, um, you know, those of us who have been writing about introversion, yeah. I doubt that we live in a very extroverted culture, so extrovert is very social, it's very busy. And then we have these technologies and the availability of information that really just drives us to to be busy. You know, there's the opportunity to to, to never uh, have that those gaps. And I think, you know, basically we go into with, withdrawal without that information. So really you would have to make a, a conscious or deliberate effort to withdraw from those sources. And I think... You know, most people just probably feel ill-equipped to do that. Do what? What are some of the things we should be doing? Um, what would make up some really quality alone time that would be beneficial? Because again, I do think when we think of it's almost like we think of being alone is is just not having people around us. But I think you're even thinking more of being introspective, getting into your thinking, turning off some of the stimuli, right? Yeah, I'm thinking about, so there's separation from people, that's one thing. But we, we can have that separation, but really not have solitude, because we can still have all that entertaining information with us, carried around in our back pocket. Um, but even if we set that aside, then we can also just still be in the peopled part of our minds, talking to ourselves and, uh, you know, imagining stories with you know, the people we, we know, remember, or anticipating things. So really, there are very few times when we're just not doing anything. And I, uh, there was a study that came out um, from scientists at Harvard uh, a few years ago where they just asked people to sit quietly alone in, in just a lab room for 15 minutes, not doing anything. So they didn't have their devices or anything else to distract them and just kind of let your mind, you know, wander. And they had one, they couldn't fall asleep or anything like that, but one thing they could do is they could apply a shock to themselves. Hmm. And an amazing, a shocking amount of people actually shock themselves. Most, most, more men than, than women. (laughs) But a lot of people uh, did this, that it was so aversive to just be in that quiet space without the, entertainment, engagement, distraction, that they would uh, rather shock themselves. And the authors of that study said, geez, you know, maybe if people could learn to meditate, they'd be more comfortable being alone by themselves. And of course, that's been the focus of my uh, personal and professional life for the last three decades or so, is, is meditation and cultivating a sense of 
of that quiet and solitude. And meditation is is good because you know it, it even if you can do it in a group, so it can be a in a sense a social activity or a solitary activity. But ultimately, you're you're going inside and disengaging with all the other sources of of information, the external and also the internal. You know, all that self-talk we engage with, and seeing what it's like to just be with our experience. Hmm. And that's you know that takes some. That's a skill that we, you know, most of us need to cultivate. It's it is it's amazing that. Uh, how many people now are moving to meditation? We hear, we talk about it, and kind of a more of a Buddhist approach to life, um, Zen and yoga, but also deep breathing and other exercises. I guess this is uh, it's kind of catching on, except it almost seems like it should be a core curricula, something that we that we are all learning at different stages of our life is this ability to actually be in our, be in a neutral space. Right. So when I, trainings, I always make the point, you know, we were, we were expected to pay attention in school, but we were never shown, here's how you actually pay attention. Yeah. That may be changing now with the younger generation, because there are a number of mindfulness programs that are going into schools and teaching kids, even very young ages, five, six, um, how to meditate. And parents can do this with their kids. There's a lot of great books out there for teaching kids these meditation skills. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The best time to start is early. And then that's just you know, part of part of your skill set. You know, that capacity to be alone, which can does not diminish, may actually, actually enhance your capacity to engage with others. Mm. And it, it, like you brought up earlier, a lot of us, I mean, I think might associate this with introversion, um, you know, with shyness, with people that just want to be alone. But in, in the end, mindfulness and um, meditation and this and and this ability to to kind of find solitude, it, it really would be enhancing to both introverts and extroverts, ambiverts. It's, it's, it's an essential skill for all humans. That's right. And, and more recently in my work, you know, after writing about introversion, I've, I've realized that this really is not just uh, for introverts. Introverts, obviously, it's a more pressing need, but really for everyone, it is. You're exactly right. That, that communally, we need, um, you know, solitude skills will be beneficial. And, and I also just want to just distinguish that not all introverts are shy. Right, right, exactly. That, 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 you know, this need for solitude just comes out of a need for self-regulation, that the, you know, the world can feel so stimulating at times for, for introverts that we need to withdraw just to recollect ourselves. We we just talked about uh, I don't know if it's not I don't know that I'd call it a real study but some some data about how much time we spend um, kind of escaping reality mm-hmm. and I, I think a lot of people think that you know if you if you go away and read a book that's like so- solitude um, or if you just go on a walk and you think that's like solitude but it sounds like you're differentiating it, it's not escaping. Um, and it's not just going away and then getting in your thinking brain. <laughs> You're saying kind of get to a different space. What is the difference between some of these escape tendencies we have 
versus what you're saying is solitude. Yeah, and I think those things are valuable, necessary, reading and, and daydreaming and, yeah. and daydreaming and, and contemplating and all of that is, is essential. I'm also um, seeing the importance of you know, what we can call non-doing, that when we meditate, for instance, like you mentioned in, in Zen, you know, the idea is to just be with your experience without adding anything else to it. And that's a lot more difficult than it might seem. Yeah. Just to sit, you know, you sit. You're sitting on a cushion or whatever, you just try to sit with your experience without adding anything to it. And, of course, there's thoughts, there's evaluations, there's judgments, there's reactions to um, physical sensations, pleasant and unpleasant ones, and you know, there's this, and there's remembering and anticipating, and there's you know, so there's this myriad of activity. And judging, I mean, judging. It, yeah, it yeah. seems like I and I see it a lot in my practice. More and more people that are critical, that are self-critical, and even anxious. Yeah. And and so so you're saying we need to get the the ability, the skill set to be able to actually look at our experience without adding to it or trying to fix it or solve it or judge it. Right. And, and that is, um, that is uh, as I said, it's, it's hard to do because part of it is it's just biological, the way our brains are, are wired, that they are going to um, be easily distracted. So we have to kind of train ourselves to come back to the come back to the present moment and um you know and some of it's just habit yeah our minds are constantly constantly going and it's um hard to turn them off oh yeah no it's so true it's like a dog barking arnie it's just like that it's so true uh let's do this let's take a break and come back and i and i want you to just kind of give us some more ideas for how we get to that neutral state it's a powerful concept, um, this idea of being alone and, and really uh, this concept of getting more solitude in your life. How how on earth could that hurt? Where is there harm there? I don't think there is any. Uh, we'll come back more with Dr. Arnie Kosak on solitude when we when we come back. Welcome back. Today we're talking about uh, spending time alone and how we probably all need to be more focused on spending uh, alone time and especially maybe getting to a point of, of kind of solitude, a, a space where you can turn off your mind, your thinking um, a little bit and, and get into that, I guess, that Zen place, that healthier uh, neutral state. To talk to us about it today is Dr. Arnie Kosak who is a, a clinical assistant professor in psychiatry at the University of Vermont. He's also a psychotherapist at the University of Vermont College. And, um, and he's, he's uh, walking us through an article he wrote about why you should be spending more uh, or was featured in about why you should be spending more time alone. Arnie, again, thanks for your, thanks for your time and being with us today. You're welcome. Good to be here. 
What are the benefits then? So in the end, if we can get to that, not just not just kind of alone physically in a room state, but really to that solitude state, what are the benefits that we would see in our lives? Well, you know, this, this solitude state that you're describing, you know, we, we wouldn't necessarily even have to be alone. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the state of being left alone. Mm. Well, I could be in a crowded place as long as I'm, you know, nobody's making demands on me and as long as I'm not making demands on myself. I, I could have that experience of solitude. And what I'm going to, the benefits of that, one is, is I think, stress management that you know, I'm, I'm detoxifying from all of the stimulation that's out there in the world, and that's going to have some benefits. Yeah. I'm also getting to know myself, you know, what, know, what, you know what my needs are, what my values are. It gives me opportunities to pursue um, creativity and my imagination. So you know, that, those demands from other people including ourselves, some of those self-imposed demands and that self-criticism you mentioned before, you know, that can really... Oh, are you there, Arnie? Oh, we lost, we lost your line. Uh, we'll, we'll go get, try to get Arnie back on. It's just one of those technical moments. Um, but boy, what an interesting idea that you're sitting there being, you could be in a space with a lot of other people, but it's the idea that there's no requirement on you and you have this chance to be in your head, in your space, and you actually could get to know you. How wild would that be to uh, to get to know you? In fact, a wonderful quote that Arnie um, had uh, in this uh, article on NBC News, he said, we, we value aloneness, solitude and quiet is not what most people see as a priority. As a culture, we extol American self-sufficiency, but we really don't want to be alone with ourselves. How many times do we talk about the importance of self-sufficiency, self-esteem, and yet many of us do not actually want to be alone with our thoughts and the power of, uh, of being able to get into that moment of solitude with ourselves might actually let us, as, as he was telling us, get to know ourselves better. Uh, we've got Arnie back on the line. Arnie, are you there? I'm here. Good to have you. So you were talking about it increases stress management, but really a lot of this uh, ability to actually get into your – to be in your own space, in your own head where you're not putting requirements on yourself and others aren't. It allows you to know yourself, your needs. You can figure out how your body – what your actual needs are, your value system, and uh, your imagination, your creativity can go up. What are some other benefits? Well, for me as an introvert – and without solitude, I just, you know, I get, I get stressed, but I also, um, by having time alone, then I'm more inclined and more available to engage with others. So it's actually beneficial for my relationships. Mm. And we know from, you know, I mean, we are social creatures. There's, there's no question about that. But part of being a social creature, even even it, for infants when they're newborns, that they don't want constant stimulation. They don't want constant <clears throat> contact. There there are times when the infant is wants to draw inside themselves, and so so being connected 
has it it's very it's very core this this tendency of this need to be alone as well hmm. and so really it nurtures it, it helps us to regulate stress and emotions it helps us to be more creative it helps us to be more connected i think does and i get yeah it, it almost buys you bandwidth to be connected yeah it's certainly for for introverts that yeah. that seems to be the case that we really need to to get that bandwidth you know i think for extroverts that the bandwidth isn't as much of a of an issue mm-hmm. but as i was saying that that really the to be connected is in a sense built on that capacity to be alone is and i guess that's something we probably need to start paying more attention to um, if I am an introvert or if I'm somebody that really needs to manage bandwidth or if I'm an extrovert, I, I guess we might want to really spend more time understanding the people around us and what their needs are. Otherwise, I become just exhausting to another person mm-hmm. or I become like in my case, I tend to be a little bit more of an introvert and neat, and I try to watch my bandwidth a lot, but my wife is more of an extrovert, and we always have these battles about my my wanting to kind of withhold and, and stay in and her desire to get out and be with people mm-hmm. yeah well i you know I talk about how to navigate some of those things in my uh, my book, The Awakened Introvert, and it includes a lot about meditation and how to uh, develop those those capacities. So. Is is when you look at this? Um, I mean, what's great? I think about. I can't imagine being maybe an introvert uh, in the 1920s or the 1850s or whatever, where maybe some of this wasn't. I mean, I guess they probably called it melancholy and other problems or other things, but. Now we're starting to understand that we have these differences, and the differences, it doesn't make one better than the other. It just makes us different, and we need to know how to recharge ourselves. Yeah, and I think that, you know, part of, I mean, it's been great, this whole introvert movement that, um, you know, in a sense, Susan Cain really uh, yeah. started, or not started, but really put Highlighted, it prominent. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some of us at the extremes who are <clears throat> predominantly introvert or extrovert. But most people, the majority of people, are going to be mixed, have mixtures of both qualities, with one prevailing. And so I think it's important to develop both. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, part of, the, part of the issue is that, again, we go back to the culture that we are often, you know, the expectations of the culture. Right. If you come, um, you know, at the end of the work week, you, you feel overloaded and you want to just go home and and uh, relax by yourself. That's seen as maybe weird or that's something wrong. We should pity you. Um, whereas, you know, if you if we lived in a in an introverted society, let's say <clears throat> uh, instead of an extroverted society, and you wanted to go out partying. On Friday night, after a long week, people would look at you and say, well, that's weird. Why don't you want to go home and take care of yourself? Right. Why wouldn't you want to relax? Yeah. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's part, of the, part of the culture. So I think that it's, you know, it's important to, to develop both. Is, 
Do, do you sense – because um, there is a difference between Eastern and Western culture when it comes to this. Um, and would would you just sense overall introversion, extroversion is usually – you know, kind of fairly balanced, maybe a 60-40 split. But is that true in an Eastern culture? Well, I don't want to generalize, and, and, and I've talked a little bit about cross-cultural um, differences, but, uh, you know, I haven't made a, uh, an in-depth study of that. But, but generally speaking, <clears throat> um, you know, there are cultural differences um, where uh, where the sense of solitude, like especially in like Scandinavia, place like Scandinavia, um, where that privacy and alone time are going to be much more highly valued than than it, it appears to be in our culture. Mm. And but then the culture does end up creating kind of expectations, things that you sh- that you feel like you should be doing, like. You know, as a young kid, you should be playing with a lot of kids. You should be out. I mean, the, the, you should be contributing as an adult. It, it just creates a lot of pressure. And so I, I guess what I'm hearing, Arnie, is by being able to create some solitude, it allows you to get in to really know you and know what you need um, and maybe even to blow up some of these thoughts that aren't as critical. Well, I think a lot of times people don't necessarily even realize that they have these needs, that they're, they're, they're at their job, they're part of teams or groups, or they're in school and they're, they're doing these things and they're just constantly, or they're parenting and they're constantly engaged in, in relationships and activity. And sometimes it's just not even on the radar yeah. that, that that's available and also necessary. What uh, as we wrap up here? What what advice would you give, um, kind of for the the newbie to to maybe get into uh, meditation and 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 get into this space of solitude? Any any kind of things we could do immediately that would start to set a foundation? Well, you can start with just doing a little practice. It doesn't have to be elaborate. I mean, maybe just take three minutes, three to five minutes. A day to just pay attention to your to your experience. So you could just focus on you know you can just spend a few minutes, just a few moments, just noticing. Wow, look at all the activity in my mind, and then bring your attention to your breathing and just follow your breaths. Not breathing any special way, but just noticing the sensations that are created as air moves in and out of your body, and, and then. Let that awareness expand into the rest of your body. So you're sitting there, you're breathing. You know, that's fairly basic. Yeah. And, and thoughts are going to come into that space, and you can, you don't have to try to banish those thoughts or get in any sort of adversarial relationship with them. You just notice them, and you just come back to that sense of, of breathing. And that, that creates a, a foundation of awareness and it's in it's a bodily awareness so it's it's in the here and now it's happening right now and um that that can be the place where that solitude can be built and you can build that up into you know a longer longer meditation periods and then find meditation groups uh, in your community or i have many hours of 
of guided meditations, recordings on my website, which people can listen to, and um, they're free of charge, and you know that can help help you to to establish those skills. But I think it's also important just to give yourself permission to see that this is nothing wrong with spending time alone, but it may in fact be valuable, and that it's maybe a beneficial skill to 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 work on. Yeah. Good stuff. Arnie Kozak's his name, Dr. Arnie Kozak. Go to um, his website, uh, exquisitemind.com, which is where you can get those uh, guided meditations as well. But deep down, let's just give ourselves permission to create that space in our lives. Not just a space free of people, because you could you can find that space with people as well. But the, the space that's a little bit neutral. It's, a, it's where you're not judging yourself and your brain's not constantly churning and thinking and and creating more and more stress for yourself powerful stuff the power of being alone bringing you uh, the ideas you need to make it through life this is the matt townsend show we'll be right back welcome back friends Really, I mean, isn't it amazing that uh, we talk so much about self-esteem, self-worth. We want our kids to grow up, to know who they are, to offer their best contributions to the world. And yet we really never tool them to be able to sit in quiet solitude. We never give them the skills, the abilities they need to actually just sit there. Uh, Many might call it... Uh, meditation. Some might call it prayer. I believe for many religious people, that is what they're trying to do is to get into that neutral state where they might, you know, receive some insights, some light, some knowledge from their higher power. Can I just challenge all of us to, to do more of it? I mean, even I, I think about it. I go on these walks every day, but I, as I go on the walk, I feel this compelling need to be listening to stuff, to be listening to the latest podcast. And, uh, pushing myself to learn more and know more. But what would happen if I turned off a lot of that noise and allowed myself to just be there and allowed myself to notice my breathing, allowed myself to just notice the experience and notice what thoughts come in, what thoughts go out. It's power. And honestly, what better way could you know yourself than by actually getting into yourself, recognizing, you know, how you're feeling, recognizing what your what your mood is um, and not even trying to always improve yourself. I think there's this constant need that we feel to continuously improve. And yet uh, maybe the, a lot of the improvements would happen naturally if we just were attuned to ourselves and we could feel the higher power in the world uh, influencing us every day powerful stuff there is power in being alone we'll take a break my friends that's hour number two stick with us this is the matt townsend show helping you be the good in the world This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. 
to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number three of the program. By the way, if you missed the first two hours, you will want to go back and find them on podcast. Go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, go to TuneIn, go to BYURadio.org, go to MattTownsend.com. Check us out. We're everywhere. Unless you're actually listening to the podcast now, the good job you already found it. See, you did it. You nailed it. And you, that means you get an A. You're ahead of the game. Um, got a great hour ahead. We're going to be talking about how to say no. 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 You guys are really good at it. Yep. Pro. No. Yeah. Uh, how to say no. A lot of us struggle with this one. If you're a people pleaser, if you don't want people to not like you, you just end up saying yes. But then the rest of the day, you're like, no, why did I say yes? And it ends up getting you. And eventually you just rot from the inside out. That's what we're afraid of. So instead, we'll teach you how to say no. Got a great uh, guest that we'll be talking about that. Um, also, of course, today we'll be we'll continue our empty news uh, updates, giving you the information that you need to get a leg up in life. Um, in fact, well, today we'll teach you if you have a dog that's missing. In fact, on my drive here today, I saw a young woman putting up posters for a missing dog. Hmm. Really? Yeah. And it was wow. it was kind of sad, like you miss your dog. But we we've got some insight into how to get your dogs to come home if 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 they don't if they're lost. Homing device? No, no homing sausages. Hmm. And what's interesting too is you may have had your dog run away because of the fireworks from the Fourth of July. A lot of dogs right now are going to the psychiatrist. A lot of dogs are getting medicated this week for their anxiety. It's a big deal. So today we'll teach you how to get the dogs to come home. Also, um, we'll visit our good buddies, speaking of dogs, at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show today. You can see if you can teach them some new tricks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think Brian Logan will be on the show. I just saw him. He just gave me the happy face in the window. That was an ecstatic face. He was ecstatic. But I think he was seeing his own reflection. I think that was it. He He was doing his hair. So we'll talk uh, to the BYU Sports Guys, plus, of course, the hero of the day. All of that straight ahead. We're locked and loaded one big hour to uh, help you take over your life. But first, let's get to Terry South with the headlines, the national headlines. Hobby Lobby, the craft emporium. I mean, this is an interesting story because who would know, who would have thunk that they were so into Iraqi relics? They're settling a federal antiquity smuggling case, paying $3 million. And returning thousands of clay artifacts from Iraq, the company said it purchased the items because of a, quote, passion for the Bible. With Hobby Lobby President Steve Green, uh, Steve Green admitting they should have exercised more oversight and carefully questioned how the acquisitions were handled. In 2009, Green and a consultant went to the United Arab Emirates where they looked at engraved seals, clay impressions, and thousand-year-old cuneiform tablets. The criminal complaint says Hobby Lobby lawyer Hobby Lobby's lawyer was warned that the items might be looted and stressed the importance of making sure their country of origin was marked on customs forms. Instead, prosecutors said 5,500 artifacts from Iraq were shipped without proper documentation with labels calling them ceramic tiles or samples from <laughs> Turkey and Israel. Uh, like like floor tile like like yeah, hobby tiles. Yeah. Hmm. So they're they're in trouble with that and some of that is uh, when uh, when Iraq fell, yeah, other people came in and they looted historical places, and then you sell all that, and that's on the black market, and that's illegal to do. The, the, these are religious relics, right? Like right. forty thousand 
religious and it's treasures right. of the Iraqi people. Absolutely. And now they're just sitting in Hobby Lobby's front room. Is it up on the mantle next to yeah. Grandpa in the urn? On or sale at Hobby Lobby. I'm not sure what's Crazy. going on. An earthquake strong enough to rouse sleeping residents more than 30 miles from its epicenter struck western Montana early on Thursday. The magnitude 5.8 earthquake hit just after midnight, about six miles southeast of Lincoln, according to the U.S. Geologic Survey. There were no immediate reports of injuries. Residents in Lincoln, Montana briefly lost power. There was a gas leak in Helena. The National Weather Service in Great Falls says the uh, independent record reports that people felt the quake as far away as Bozeman, Idaho, and Great Falls. Also in the region, this is why it's important, since June 12th, there have been more than 1,000 small quakes near and around Yellowstone National Park. Now, this region of Montana that had the 5.8 is in western Montana, which is away from Yellowstone. But it's all on top of the super volcano that the Yellowstone National Park right. sits on. They've had a thousand small earthquakes since June 12th. Scientists at the University of Utah say it's nothing to worry about. Relax. Because Yellowstone is an active volcano and that's just how the earth works. Yeah. Nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. Are you kidding me? The earth know. is shaking. Scary. <laughs> Scary. Gene Connolly. Have you heard of this name? Uh, sounds familiar. Gene Connolly. He's the only man to win both the Baseball World Series and an NBA championship in basketball. No. He died what? He died Tuesday at the age of 86, the Boston Red Sox said in a statement. The right-handed pitcher played for the Red Sox as well as the Boston-Milwaukee Braves and Philadelphia Phillies during his 11 seasons from 1952 to 1963. It was with the Braves that all uh, the three-time All-Star won the World Series in 1957. Hmm. The 6'8 Connolly, who had put basketball on hold for much of the mid-50s while he concentrated on baseball, returned to hoops during the 58-59 season and won the first of three consecutive NBA championships with the Boston Celtics. What a stud. You should, you should talk to Sports Nation about that. In fact, I, I will. So it's we'll, a great idea. We'll just leave that right there. I mean, how rare is this dual threat athlete? That's I mean, pretty cool. granted, the NBA at that time had like 10 teams. Yeah. But Bo he's Jackson. Not, yeah. Everybody knows Bo. Bo yeah, knows. But, but, Bo knows I mean, Bo. The level of athleticism, the knowledge of the fact that the league even existed. Well, and that was back they, in the day when there was nobody that was six foot eight. Right. Now they're a dime a dozen. Right. Everyone's Don't rain on this parade that we're having. Okay. All right. And this finally, funeral parade. <laughs> American soldiers gobbled up more than 100 million pounds of it during World War II. Turkey? A table full of Monty Python Vikings sang its praises. Although its origins are humble and its nutritional content dubious, Spam is going strong on its 80th birthday. Congratulations, Spam. More than 8 billion cans of the pink loaf have been sold and presumably eaten, maybe, maybe not, since Hormel introduced the Spam in July of 1937. The little blue cans went went global when the army uh, shipped troops overseas, and Spam even sustained hungry Russian troops. Despite many jokes, it tastes good nonetheless, former Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev once wrote per Time magazine. Civilians uh, appreciated the low price and its extended shelf life and didn't seem to mind the vague kind-of-like-ham taste. (laughs) Ham is thankfully only one of six ingredients that are also include salt. 
Yeah. A lot of salt. I think salt is the primary ingredient. Oh, a, regu- yeah. a regular can packs a mouthful, uh, mouth puckering 4,696 grams of sodium wow. plus 100 grams of fat and 1,000 plus calories per the evening standard. Man, farm sourced, heart rate just went up. Farm sourced and organic may be all the foodie rage today, but 44,000 cans of Spam are produced every hour. Really? Yeah, I think the picture on the can is actually just a salt cube with some garnishings around it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> other other fun facts about everyone's favorite molted meat or motted meat, potted meat? I don't know. Potted meat. Including the root of its name. What do you think the name came from? Uh, something ham. Um, special ham. No. Ham and sodium. Sodium. <laughs> sodium promulgated ham. No. Uh, according to the original marketing material, sizzle, pork, and mm-mm, spam. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's not – that's that's lying in advertising. Right Have there. you enjoyed spam? I love spam. Do you? But we – I like to cook it. We we cook our spam. Do you cook your spam? I don't eat it raw. Don't some people eat it raw? I've never tried it and I've always kind of wanted to. Oh, it's you've never tried it? No. I've kind of always been afraid to. Where have you ever noticed that Kiko is eating spam all day? What's big in Hawaii? And he's got like 500 recipes. That's why we're going to do this whole segment cooking with Kiko. You're not Spamorama. Kidding. It really is big in Hawaii. It, it is. is. It's crazy. But oh, it's I love it. I, it's really good. Now we. I had do a, people eat it raw? I don't know. I don't know if I it's, think you're you supposed. No, to. Kiko's saying no. Okay. So we always yeah we've always cooked it. I I, I thought some people just munch See, it out. Of my the my camp. father would do the corned beef. Out of oh, the can. that's good too, though. Right, and the Vienna sausages. Uh-huh. I think these are all in the same family of yeah. questionable. Like, is it food? Is it some chemistry experiment? Yeah. But like spam, my we went camping as Boy Scouts, and they chopped it up, and yeah. we're all like, "What?" And then you eat it. And it was all right. No, it's really good. And if you you can take them out of their cans, and then you can build a spam fort. You can. So, what is your food or drink of choice to wash the taste out of something that you don't like? Um, if, if uh, the drink of choice is normally milk, if to, okay. to get rid of something that I didn't like mm-hmm. because I, it would coat and soothe and relieve my stomach. That's mm. where I go with it. Coat and soothe. That's what people say about you. You uh, coat and soothe and relieve. I love that, Matt Townsend. He sure coats and soothes and relieves. He really <laughs> covers up that bad taste. He's like Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> it coats and soothes. What's your favorite drink of choice? Um... Ooh, I would probably – I might eat a jalapeno because that will burn it right off. Hold on. Why? Really? Why not? I like jalapenos. Do you? It will burn the taste right off my tongue. Do you like jalapenos? Like if you went to, if you went to a, a I would just, sandwich bar and they yeah. had a jalapeno there, would you just grab one of those and chomp it down? No, I'd put it on a sandwich though. Would you? Yeah. I'd I put like the sweet ones. Eat it. Yeah. I like sweet – what are they called? They're sweet peppers. Pepper, pickled peppers. Yeah, they're not jalapenos. A, a peck of pickled peppers. I love that. Peter Piper. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's good times. Speaking of uh, peppers, um, if you've lost your dog, mm. there's a lot of things you can do. And, and think of how sad you'd be 
when two miniature schnauzers went go missing. Your two beautiful little miniature schnauzers. On June 16th, John Hampson was walking his parents' dogs, Charlie, who's seven, uh, the dog, and Theo, that's 15. These are Theo. In, Theo, 15 times seven in dog. Oh, oh 15 months. Theo's just oh, okay. 15 months. Okay. Um, and they're, just, they're, just they're just walking their dogs on top of Red Pike, a scenic outlook near Buttermere, Cumbria in England, mm. and the fog rolled in. As it does. You know, it just happens. The fog yeah. just rolls in. And the dogs were both off the leash because uh, – and then all of a sudden they, they ran away in the fog. It's the mist. So now the 21-year-old has lost his parents' dogs. Now you're just walking in the mist looking for Charlie, Theo. Here, boy. Wow. He was beside himself when uh, John called Liz um, – uh, Times and Star, a weekly newspaper in Cockermouth, England. The dogs walk off, walked off, and now they can't find the dogs. So is it, is the this... newspaper's looking for them. 120 people got together. Two drones came out. Is this an installment of the Benji franchise? Kind of. Benji Abroad or no, something? No, no, no. This is actually, no? I think, by um, Hormel. Oh, okay. You, you may know why in a minute. Uh, 120 oh. people are searching for the dogs. After 96 people? hours of searching, the family had this one last idea. This is like, this is it. This is the last shot. They decided to grill some sausages hmm. close to the spot where the dogs went missing because these dogs love sausages. Okay. And uh, they have them every Sunday for breakfast. So if there was one food that would bring these two little cute dogs home, it would be some sausage links. I don't eat sausages that much. Oh, I love them. But like every Sunday for breakfast, uh-huh, I mean, I could do they're that. living better than I am. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. So they uh, they started cooking up some sausages. And uh, then out of nowhere, near the tree line, I spotted the dogs. I couldn't speak. He says, I stood there crying. Liz told the Times. Mm. I was a gibbering wreck. It's moving. Were her exact words. And Charlie and Theo ran toward the cookout. Well, they're hungry. When a huge eagle swept down and picked them up. No. (laughs) No, no, no. By the way, thanks for the Benji reference. Yeah. My late great uncle was the Academy Award nominated composer for the song I Feel Love in the original Benji movie. They won a Golden Globe. Wow. Got to go to the Oscars. Adjacent to greatness. Somebody's a braggart. That's pretty cool. You have a great uncle. My father's uncle. Your father's uncle. So great uncle. Yes. And he passed away recently. May he rest in peace. But was an, was Oscar nominated for a song. That's cool. And his wife. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. See? Fame. Right there. Uh, well, we're glad. We're glad for both. Uh, who were you talking about? Benji. Benji the Hunted. <laughs> and um, Charlie and Theo. They're all back, folks. So when in doubt, uh, smoke them out with some smoked sausages. I mean, if it works, you know, I mean, he's, they're not responding to you. Yeah, no. But they're, they love the sausages. But then I think it's time that we take those two dogs home and have a little training session. What really is the relationship of the dog will not respond to you, but responds just to food? Well, he's got one of those eating disorders, those emotional eating disorders okay. that we talked about on yesterday's show. Oh, all right. 
See? It all depends on how you train it. Has that been provoked by the owner? Well, especially, yeah. If you train your dog and every time they do something right, you give them a sausage, then they're only going to come to you when you got sausage. They should have just Seems led like with the sausage then. I mean, that's, I mean, I am a doctor for crying out loud. I've got an M&M dispenser in my office at home. Yeah. And uh, I tell the girls that anybody who comes and visits me at work gets M&Ms. Well, my youngest daughter... She visited me about five times in the span of five minutes yesterday. So you trained her up. Does she always come in salivating? She came in with a little cup. Yeah, it's like Pavlovian. So it's really, really difficult to say no. Ring a little bell. Why don't you bring him in here? That'd be nice of you. I'm just saying. The, the M&Ms. The M&Ms. Not the girls. The girls have got to stay home. Yeah. Hmm. We're working. Yeah. It's not bring your kids to school day. <laughs> Anyway, interesting insight. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be replaying an interview we did with Diane Barth about why it's so hard to say no and how to pick up your game. How to say no uh, in a healthier way. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, have you ever had somebody ask you to maybe, you know, go to a party or go to an event or do something, maybe fill in for them at work, and you just don't want to? You don't want to, but you end up saying yes. And you you always seem to say yes. You just can't get yourself to say no to people. Uh, Sometimes you might be called a pleaser or just a pushover. But uh, we wanted to attack the issue and find out what's going on that makes it so hard to say no and how to handle it. Who better to help us with that than Diane Barth? She's a psychotherapist and a psychoanalyst in the private practice in New York City, where she works with adults and adolescents, individuals and families. And uh, she's an author and a writer. She um, wrote an article on psychology today. Why is it too? Uh, why is it hard to say no? And how can you uh, get better at it? She's going to walk us through her article and some of her learnings. Diane Barr, thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for having me back. Good morning. We love having you on the show. Um, and your article. I mean, why? Why is it so hard to say no? Well, there are a lot of different reasons. Uh, People are afraid of disappointing other people, afraid of being seen as selfish, um, afraid of other people's anger or retaliation. Um, Sometimes we're also afraid of, we we use not saying no as a way of avoiding doing something else that we're afraid of Uh doing. (laughs) Yeah, we we use it to procrastinate. Exactly. Oh, that's so, boy, that's... We're manipulative. Uh, well, our, our, our uh, unconscious minds are sometimes. Yeah, they're they, very clever. They are clever, aren't they? What would you um, – I mean, is this, is this just a – is it just a, a weak human's problem or do all of us have this problem? Oh, I think we all have the problem. Not everybody um, pays attention to it. Yeah. And some people – I actually think that it, rather than it having to do with being weak, it has to do with having um, a lot of empathy for other people because a lot of times we don't say no, um, for example, when we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or when we, um, when we think that it would actually be more troublesome or more hurtful to the other person to for us to not let them do it or for us to not do whatever it is that they're asking us to do right. um, than just to go ahead. And a, a case in point is 
um, I'm hearing a lot of discussion about weddings these days and um, who gets invited and who doesn't get invited mm. and who gets a plus one and who doesn't get a plus yeah. one. Who sits and, where, right? Exactly. And, you know, they're real issues. They're real problems. It's your wedding. You don't want to have people you don't know or you don't care about. Um, you also have financial limits. But sometimes, and so it's important to be able to say no, right? But right. sometimes... Sometimes it's just important to say yes, even though you don't particularly want that person because it would be too upsetting to them or to somebody else who's important to you. And that's that's where I think not saying no is sometimes a strength. And is I think you're right because the, the problem, I guess, is when I say yes, but I'm mad and frustrated yes. and quietly angry, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Because yes. then I'm stewing in my decision and I haven't I'm not moving on and benefiting from saying yes that's right and that's that is what you just you, you nailed it I mean that's really the the issue is being able to make the decision to say either yes or no and in either case to feel that you made the right decision or that you're gonna you're gonna live with that decision and that's in the article I talk a lot about some of the ways that you can you can feel more comfortable with your decision and one of them is to talk it out with somebody else um, to really have somebody who um, can help you think out the pros and cons of what you're doing and what you're not doing and um, then make the decision based on uh, not what they're telling you to do, but what you and they have thought out. Hmm. A lot of times one of the things is to think about uh, worst-case scenarios. What's the worst-case scenario if you say yes and what's the worst-case scenario if you say no? Um, you know, I then, found – Diane, tell me if you see this. Like there's some people that seem – and that's why I said weak earlier. But there's some that mm-hmm. seem so strong. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like if you're empathic and kind of caring, you you actually watch their face as you're about to say no. You see how desperate they are yes. to have you work for them. Or, yes. and, um, but then there's some people that are just like, nope. I don't yep. do that. Sorry. Yep. And I, I sometimes wish I were more like those people, except I also know I've been blessed with, you know, uh, kind of an empathic sensitivity. Nature. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I'm with you on that one, Matt. Um, but I think that there are some people who are able to say no um, because they don't care about or can't see other people's feelings. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't think that's a strength. Yeah, that's not what we want. Right. It just seems so liberating. Right. So the real work is to learn to be able to say no, even though sometimes when you say no, it's going to disappoint somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's and, and hard, to, yeah. to find ways to, to, you know, be comfortable with that. And I guess that's what talking to another person can help you with, I guess, by is yeah. by going through all of your choices instead of maybe the dichotomy of either right. or. Right, exactly. I, and if, you have, if you're a person who really has trouble saying no, I mean, I, I have worked with people who can't tell a cab driver, no, don't go this way, or they can't, <laughs> I mean, they just can't say no to anybody. Right. I love the, the um, practice technique that Marsha Linehan, who uh, developed this theory of DBT, dialectical behavioral yeah. therapy, um, that she, she says, okay, so practice. So go in, she says, you know, you learn, you develop the skills over time. So go into a store 
not a not a small mom and pop store where you're going to be worried about the 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 people who are selling or trying to sell you something. But go into a big you know uh, um, a um, a big box store <clears throat> or a drugstore, a big drugstore, and say you know ask a clerk to show you something and 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 then say thank you so much for your help. I'm going to think about it and yeah. leave without buying anything. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Yeah. She, because she says that that, that you know, you're going to see the disappointment on their face or the frustration or they just spent 10 minutes with you and now you're walking out. You can do it nicely, mm-hmm. but you don't have to buy something. And the more you sort of practice being able to say no nicely, the easier it gets. I guess that some of that just might be maturing, right? Uh, just I I mean, so. kind of growing up in your own self. And, and what's funny, it seems like about these highly empathic people is we'd still probably say it nicer than everyone else. Probably. <laughs> Even, yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So it's it's still OK. But I guess we, too, we want to please people. We want people to yes. like us. Yes. And so there's I mean, but there's one of the places people have a really hard time. So it's one thing if you're saying, um, no, I really don't want to go to a party, although I'll come back to that one in a second, because that that's a big one for a lot of people. But another one, if you've got two parties to go to and you don't know which one to say no to and you're afraid that you're going to hurt somebody's feelings if you don't go to one and mm. or, you know, or at the holidays where um, you've got in-laws and parents and step-parents and everybody wants you to come for dinner and, yeah. you know, you cannot go to everybody's house for dinner. So you're going to say no to somebody. How How are you going to do that? And Whose feelings are you going to hurt? And how are you going to do it nicely? That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, but the reality is you you are saying no to people and relationships. I guess that's one of the things we got to watch out for is who we say no to the most. Because it oh, might be the people closest to us, right? Yes, because they may be the easiest to say no to. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's hard, huh? Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's take a break. We're speaking with Diane Barth, and she's teaching us about um, an article she wrote in Psychology Today. Why is it why is it hard to say no, and how to get better? She is the author of the book Daydreaming: Unlock the Creative Power in Your Mind, and an, and a writer on uh, Psychology Today's site. So we'll take a break. Come back more with Diane in just a minute. We'll be right back. Folks, to the Matt Townsend Show. By the way, that was the longest break I've ever had, as Ben told me no 14 times. So apparently what Diane is teaching is working. Today we're talking with Diane Barth and her article, Why Is It Hard to Say No and How to Get Better? Uh, Diane, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Man, you've, my, now my board op <laughs> is just not, he won't be quiet. No to everything. Uh, we're telling him he has to read the last part of the article. Sometimes you're yeah. supposed to say yes to your boss. Ah, no, no. <laughs> the problem is he doesn't read either. He always makes ah. us read to him, which is so, so weird. Hey, uh, talk more about what what else we can do, like at, at a party, when we have this, which party do I go to? How do I decide? This is a big issue because I'm going to offend somebody. Exactly. And, I, and there is a point, right? I have to say no somewhere in my life at some time. Yes. So 
it gets even more complicated because I believe that one of the struggles with with saying no is that there are often some psychological uh, conflicts that we don't always recognize, um, like the idea of procrastinating because there's actually something else that you really are afraid of doing. Mm -hmm. So with parties, one of the issues is that there's also FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Yeah. And so sometimes it's hard to figure out which party to say no to or which social event to say no to or which activity to say no to because we're so afraid that we're, if we say no to one, then we're going to miss out on all the fun of the other one right. or whatever is happening at the other one. And I, I, um, I'm doing some writing about social media right now. I have many, many positive things to say about social media, but the one thing that I think is is a real problem is the idea i think it's just it's just fed on uh, this fear of of missing out and so when we say no we're afraid that we're going to then see all these instagrams or facebook uh, pictures or snapchats or whatever of all of our friends having a wonderful time doing the thing we didn't do right oh it's so true huh and then we, and then oh look what I, I missed i missed that i missed exactly. this mm. exactly. and yeah. two i mean like, i have kind of a, the inverse problem where i i pretty much say no to anything because <laughs> i'm an introvert no one believes yes. it but i'm also a high sensitive so i i've had a long day i just want to go kind of decompress yeah. but my wife loves getting out there so she would love to say yes to everything yeah. and it creates tension so that's really interesting. I think that that kind of a marriage or that kind of a relationship with a partner is really common. We yeah. often find somebody who sort of compliments us, right? They, right? they fill in the holes that we have, and that works both ways. So one of the things you have to remember is that when you're telling your wife no, yeah. She also benefits from that because maybe, I don't know, but, you know, it's possible, maybe she would say yes too many times. Oh, sure. No, right. Exactly. So, so sometimes it's useful to have her say yes and you have to go, but sometimes it's useful for you to say no and her have to stay home and, you know, veg out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think that, and that creates kind of just a little equilibrium. Now exactly. we can... And then we can learn to communicate through it. Um, I also have noticed that I'm a parent that is kind of the automatic no. Uh-huh. And are there people that are just – they're just kind of automatically scripted yes or no? I don't know about automatic – I mean, I think it's, it's learned. I yeah, think it's how right. we – you know, either, either we're doing what we were what, – what was done to us and we thought it was a good thing or we're doing the opposite of what was done to us because we didn't like what was done to us. Hmm. I think the automatic is a problem. Yeah. That, that, and, and, of course, as we're parenting, we are – we're doing, making a lot of decisions on the fly. So, you know, it's hard to stop and think. Or take a breath and think. But I actually think it's very useful to do um, one of the techniques that one of the, the psychologists I wrote about, Susan Albers, says is, is, um, is just stop before you say yes or no and take a breath. Mm. You, don't have to, you don't have to count to ten. You don't have to do anything that takes a long time. But, but stop the automatic action. Yeah, otherwise you're just, yeah, you're, just, you're just going with it. Yeah. Is um, and because 
if I do this as a parent, if I'm if I have a hard time saying no, I could obligate my family to things. And yes. and this might be one of the reasons and the FOMO and all that other stuff that we don't we're also overscheduled. We're also overprogrammed. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And maybe just the simple idea of taking a breath before we say yes or no, before we respond. Right. Uh, What are some other tricks that might help? Um, uh, Well, I do think talking to somebody else is really, really useful um, because it's not just that the other person is going to give you advice, but it's that you get a – it's it's similar to taking a breath. It's that you get a chance to sort of think it out. Um, and, and maybe the other person will have some things to say to you that will help you figure out what you want. Or sometimes just saying what you're thinking out loud to another person helps you uh, figure out what you really want. Mm. Yeah. You brought up a really interesting point in the article about um, women where mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, it might be harder for them to say no. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the, the, the idea is that for women, because there are certain images of what a woman's supposed to be like, mm-hmm. um, and because also because women have um, a, a fairly high need to please others, um, it's often hard to, for women to say no. What I also say in the article is that I've known plenty of men who have trouble saying no also. Yeah. So it's, it, I don't think it's all just uh, something that women struggle with. And as you said, there are some, both men and women, who can say no without oh. even thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and half the men out there would be like, be like, my wife says no all the time. Exactly. And, exactly. I mean, and I, I, I was raised by my mom and my three sisters, so I think I picked up a heavy dose of the the female, like, just sensitivity to, you know, not wanting to rock the boat. Yes, yes. Which is not good, <laughs> healthy well, always, right? It's not always healthy, and it's not always bad. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it's what you want. It's exactly what you said in terms of you and your wife. You want a balance. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to say no when you really want to be able to, you know, when you really want to say no. I mean, I have, I live in New York City. I have clients who have troubles if somebody starts to come onto them in, on the subway, they have trouble saying no or turning oh, away from them yeah. or moving because they don't want to hurt the person's feelings. Well, that's not, you know, that's yeah. not good. Then you're being harmed, right, and exactly. violated. Exactly. Um, is, I guess, in the end, what's, what's the benefit of no? Give us a really good case for why no builds us, makes us stronger. Well, I think that in, in the best, of all situations, and no is a way of setting your boundaries. It's a way of knowing who you are. It's a way of differentiating yourself from another person. Um, when when it's working, when it's the right time to say no, it does all of those things. Yeah. Okay. I think that's right. And um, and it's it's part of the repertoire, right? You got to have a full repertoire, or exactly. you're just kind of a you're dancing on one leg. Exactly. Good exactly. Usually put put that in a met. meme. <laughs> Hey, Diane, thanks so much for helping us again. That's uh, great insight, and we'll have you back to pick your brain some more. My pleasure. I love it. Unless you say no, of course. <laughs> thanks. Never. Diane Barth is her name. Go check out her, her writings on psychologytoday.com. Also, Daydreaming. The book is called Daydreaming, Unlock the Creative Power of Your Mind. Good stuff, folks. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going to be on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. All that straight ahead. Chicken tender. 
tenders, taters, and gravy. I threw in a biscuit and a big old cookie. Welcome back, friends. It is that time of day. We're celebrating Fried Chicken Day. And how better to celebrate that than to head down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer Linton and Brian Logan today, two two people that just love biscuits and gravy and a cookie. Hello, gentlemen. Brian, where's your go-to place for fried chicken, man? My mom's house. Oh. <laughs> Going to mama's house. No, I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, if I if I have if I have to to choose, uh, my mother's not available. Um, I definitely say Popeyes. Oh, we talked about Popeyes today. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Popeyes. Popeyes, man. That's a nice shout out, Brian. Way to yeah, no get a little promo time there, my friend. Please send that invoice to Jerem. Their uh, <laughs> their slogan is it. Louisiana fast or something Ooh, like that. Yeah. That was pretty good, man. That was really good. It brought a tear to my eye. Hey, whatever they're doing with advertising, it's working, at least for me, right? It's, me hungry. it's totally working. Hey, by the way, um, did you guys, do you know who Gene Conley is? I know who Gene nope. Conley is, yes. That's nope, a big deal. Gene Conley, uh, the only man to win both a baseball World Series and an NBA basketball championship, died today. Oh, a- age really? of 86. I didn't know that. Yep. Died on actually died on Tuesday. He uh, won uh, pitcher. He pitched for the Boston Red Sox and the Milwaukee Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies, and then he played basketball for some team. Where was <laughs> it? It's not. Oh, the Boston Celtics. Pretty cool. Gene cool. Connolly. May he rest in peace. Well, yeah, he lived a good life. Yeah, he did. Come on, two cha- two different. Uh, Two different sports. So um, you two now, it seems like uh, when Jerem's away and Brian's there, it gets a little out of hand. Is the show still going to go on today? The show will go on today, but yes, you are accurate in your assessment of that. <laughs> I mean, I've the, seen when it. When the Logan takeover happens, it's just a little weird in well, Studio B. Well, you I can mean, tell. relative to your definition of weird or... Out of hand, I guess. <laughs> well, but, but security the security goes up. We have a lot more security in the building. Yeah. Whenever Brian's in the building, they have yeah. that they, they have that they, monitor that follows him around to make yeah, sure they that they actually don't let me in. It's hard to get, to get in. I purposely come late. Do you? Uh, Is that why you were late today? Yeah, I, I, I make sure that the the doors are open. Yeah, that's why that security guard was running after you. That was yeah. fun. Good times. Yeah, I still got it, man. I yeah, you do. It. You I, got the I, moves. I've like, still got like a four or five in me. <laughs> four, yeah, that, you, the, the security guard was winded <laughs> trying to catch you. So what? Uh, what's on the show today? What are we talking about? Oh, you know, it's Independence Day week. Yes. And we're sticking with the Independence theme until people are super tired of it, Matt. Oh, just just beat that thing. Yes. Go we're for going it. going to. You know Why? Why? Because people care about it. BYU fans care about eras, right? Absolutely. The Lavelle era, the Bronco era, and now the Independence era mm. of BYU football. Who is the greatest player in the Independence era for BYU? Wow. That's a great question. I thought long and hard about this. Greatest Man. player in the Independence era. Yeah. I've got a list of at least... Ten possibilities. I'm going to say Max Hall. Max Hall did not play in Independence. <laughs> okay, darn it. <laughs> um, interesting. So the best player by winning percentages or just, just – You define the greatest yeah. player in BYU football's Independence era. How do you define great? Yeah. Again, it's all in the paradigm that you yeah. define No, I, I think greatness. it's hair. I'm going to go with hair. Okay, no, nice. Hair. The greatest hair. Who had the greatest hair? Ah, uh, yes. Mitch Matthews? 
Mitch Ooh, Mitch Matthews. Matthews. Is up there. Mitch is Fred good. Warner is also up there. Fred, yeah, Fred is good too. I like Fred's hair. But I'm going with Brian Logan, but that wasn't during the nope, Brian independence. just missed the yeah. independence. No. But I, I heard it, Brian was the reason they went independent. That is very true. Because I'm going to give you some of these names, man. Okay, let's hear them. redshirted. Give us some. Okay, just, just a few. Yeah. Kyle Van Noy. Oh, yes. Joe oh, Williams. Oh, Ziggy. Iggy. Taysom Hill. Yes. Ziggy Ansa, Bronson Kafusi. Mm. Cody Hoffman. Oh. But a current guy that's projected to get drafted in the NFL next year with great hair, Fred Warner. <laughs> Alani Fua. Wani Unga. Harvey Longy. Kai Nakua. Like, there are yeah, a ton there you of go. guys. There you go. There you go. Okay, I am going with uh, Van Noy. You're going to go with Kyle Van Noy? Nice. I Probably. Like yeah. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. There's a no reason that Brian likes that, and you'll hear why. <laughs> He's like, I like pick. it a lot. Oh, I, I think minutes. I know. I think I know. Um, okay, that's a, great, that's a great question. Anything else on the show, or are you just going to end it with that? Just that. Well, we've got the cool Canadian, Greg Rebell. Oh, yeah. He's going to bring eh? a strong opinion, as he always does, on that conversation, the greatest player of BYU's independence era. Mm. But secondly, he's been hanging out with the BYU basketball team lately, behind... The Annex Closed Doors, Ooh. watching their closed practices, why he feels like things are better already, despite the departure of Eric Mika. Really? Yes. Yeah. So something's different about the practice. Compelling stuff. Okay, good, good. I, I bet there's more shouting, more yelling. Well. I don't know. I think pro. I think Greg does a good job of not yelling unless it's a super exciting moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. In the moment, yeah, yeah. he but controls himself. Bri- Brian's here, so yeah, that's true. It, <laughs> it could get crazy. It could totally get crazy. Had that effect on people. There's uh, no telling what's going to happen. So we're going to be there. talking basketball and football. Uh, anything else? Yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, celebrity crushes growing up. Oh yeah. You know, I don't know if you guys know this. I, for uh, Farrah Fawcett was my first girlfriend. I did know that she was your first celebrity crush, but uh, no, not crush, girlfriend. Oh, stop it! There's a difference, Spencer. We 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 went out for for years. You and Charlie's Angel. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, she was my favorite angel. And by the way, Charlie's last name Townsend. <laughs> it really was Charlie Townsend. I swear he was my was uncle. Was it pretty hard to to keep the the tape? And the, uh, on the poster, you know, the, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. hard on the on the seats of the restaurants mm-hmm. in, the movie, in the movie theaters. I took her everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, if you if you if you get her, what's it called? Um, I had her. Uh, I had plastic put on the poster. What's oh, that nice. called? Lamination. Laminated, and then I just could roll it up and take it everywhere. Nice, man. At least you protected her. But I never left home without her. You're a good boyfriend. I really am. <laughs> I really am. Oh, my goodness. It's kind of awkward, but totally true. <laughs> <laughs> totally. We're not judging. No, good. Thanks, Brian. Mm-hmm. Thanks for not judging me. No, nope, I just pray. Okay, that's good. Uh, any, hey, by the way, um, are you guys going to do anything special for Chicken Day, Fried Chicken Day? I personally, I can't. My new diet doesn't allow me to eat fried chicken, but I'm going to go get some chicken. So maybe we ought to just all go together. And okay, you can't eat fried chicken, but you're going to go get some chicken. I'm, I'm going to get chicken without fried without skin. Without fry. Yeah. You're going to eat grilled chicken. I'm going to eat grilled chicken oh, nuggets. That's so boring. From a place that sounds like Blick Blable. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's where I'm going. We, we can say Popeyes, but we yeah, can't, can't say, say Popeyes. Anything I, else? Yeah. That's it. Blick Blable. It's such a good place for blicking. Blinger Blicking Blood. 
Well, guys, all right. It's going to be a great show. Uh, may the force be with you, and may the security keep um, the lid on Brian Logan. That's our goal. That's our goal. Great show coming up. By the way, five minutes away. You can just soak it in. Uh, BYU Sports Nation with Spencer Linton and Brian Logan. You're not going to want to miss it. Also, um, a couple of other stories we really we need to touch on here. Um, uh, a councilman's uh, broadcast over a loudspeaker. Listen to this. A Pennsylvania town councilman who broadcasts taps at his home through loudspeakers every night must limit the activity. The Glen Rock Borough Council voted Wednesday to restrict Councilman Joshua Corney's broadcast of the song to Sunday nights and to the certain flag holidays like the 4th of July. He's only allowed to do it Sundays now and on the 4th of July and holidays like that. Maybe Memorial's Day they'll allow it, Patriot's Day. Several people who live near Corny complain that the nightly broadcasts violate the borough's noise ordinance. Boy, what happened to patriotism? I know, right? Remember? But every day, hmm. But, it, I mean, every day it would remind you that there are people at war giving their lives for this country. Right, but some another way that people show their patriotism is by shooting off fireworks. Would you want that every night? Oh, sure. Okay. No, I wouldn't. But this is different. This is patriotic. Listen to that song. Plus you that was that's when I tell my kids to be home. You better be home before the song is over. Before tap starts playing, or I'm going to tap on your head. Yeah. If you don't want to be tapped, you better be home before taps is done. <laughs> anyway, so now they're saying, nope, okay, you're done. A few holidays. Uh, slowly, we're, we're squeezing patriotism out. Just squeezing it. I don't know. That's rough. I feel bad. Do you really? I really do. Okay. I really do, because where did I see it? Um, I saw... Where was it? They played Taps in a show in a movie. The movie Taps? No, that was a great movie. Uh, th- With no. Michael Wait, uh, who was it? Sean Penn, mm. Tom Cruise, and Timothy Hutton. But everybody, I mean, if you live on a if you live on a um a military installation at 5 o'clock or whatever every day, they're playing this and no matter where you were, you stop and you turn toward where the flag would be. And you stand at attention. Right. But that's, again, on a military base. Right. Maybe that's Not a what, we, maybe what we need are more people to be on military bases. I wonder what that would change. Hmm. hmm? Huh? Hmm? Hmm. Anyway, uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, Georgia police did stop a man. Um, a motorcycle officer stopped a guy, a driver for speeding on a suburban highway north of Atlanta and you know how they have the uh, uh, what's it called the HOV lane? Oh yeah. And you always sometimes people would put a dummy there in the in their seat to make yeah. it look like they have you know carpool lane. But uh, George Gordon, a spokesman for the police, said they pulled a man over Sunday who had a life-size doll of a big-eyed, large-skulled alien riding in the front passenger seat. I don't think he was in the HOV lane. I think he was just he had the doll. In his car. Oh, he wasn't? Well, no, why, he why wasn't. Would, why, oh, oh. Because they didn't give going, him a ticket. He was going 84 miles an hour. Yeah. He was speeding. <laughs> but you know what? He was just on a date. What's the big deal? What, you can't take an alien out? They asked him a lot of probing questions. <laughs> ever since Trump, ever since Trump 
you're not. I mean, all of these illegals are starting to get arrested. They're sneaking in, sneaking into the HOV lane. This one landed, apparently. Anyway, so he, the driver got off with a verbal warning, some laughs from the officer. Maybe that's why you do it. You get out of a ticket. You get out of the ticket. It's that simple. Hey, our hero of the day, very quickly, is Lieutenant Jeff Neville. He's a police officer that was stabbed in the neck at a Michigan airport last month. And uh, he says the maintenance man who jumped in uh, to help him is a hero. If the man had not uh, have been walking beside me, I wouldn't be here talking to you today. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Neville recalled today at the 4th of July parade in Fenton, Michigan. It's not his job, but the man just reacted, Neville said. And this guy, uh, not to be named, just the, just the janitor, jumps in and starts beating up the guy that was knifing the cop. Crazy. Saved his life. And uh, so he's the hero of the day. Uh, we're not – apparently they don't want his name out, but it's – it's that's what heroes do, folks. They're there when you need them, and uh, they go the extra mile. We'll take uh, – that's it. No, that's the show. BYU Sports Nation's up next. We'll be back again tomorrow. Make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>